You already know what it is. Couldn't take this long of a break without coming back with something fucking huge. I'm a podcaster looking for a partner. Someone who knows how to rock without ever falling off. Gotta be compatible. Take me to my limit. You know when we kick it off. I promise that you ain't gonna turn it off. If you want it, let's do it. Come on, my podcast. The mic is waiting. Come and jump on it. If you want it, let's do it. Come on, my podcast. The mic is waiting. Come and jump on it. I just want to leave this on. We're going to start showing in a second, but this fucking beat. This is the best beats of all time. Yeah. 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 All right. I won't, uh, I won't keep y'all, uh, <laughs> we got to calm it down for just a second. Welcome to the Fighting With Myself podcast, the podcast for the above average MMA fan hosted by an above average man and i am that man my name is juice it's been a while folks i was actually just looking at the uh the fucking the last time i recorded was a day before i got my tattoo that's right in case you missed it i got a tattoo i have one i had already one but it was like a little small one but it's, i mean it's, you know it has a story so it's it's important to me, but this is like the first one I actually kind of like collaborated with an artist and like sat down and had a vision and then, oh my God, it fleshed out so beautifully. Um, big shout out to, well, first of all, the artist, Billy Harrigan, um, out of uh, Dark uh, Dark Space Collective in upstate New York, uh, Troy specifically. But uh, the reason I connected with this artist was because of uh, one of the homies from Twitter from from who's been on the show before. Um, shout out to Freelance Goon um hooked me up with uh, that's his uh his boy and uh hooked me up with this artist i just uh he was the right guy for me and it worked out perfectly and then uh, we met up for some drinks uh and food right after it was fucking amazing it was like it was like we knew each other for years it was everything met his lovely wife met my wife she was amazing anyway um enough about that because you are you guys probably already knew that um i wanted to um I wanted to do a show just because uh, it's been a while and I know I said I was kind of like done with the show, but I'm never really done. You know, it's kind of like an MMA retirement. Like there's always something that's going to bring you back. And I've kind of been, I was kind of missing MMA and I looked at the card for 256 and, you know, I was just like, this is a really good card that, I mean, I, I, I haven't been on Twitter much. I don't know if it was really flying under the radar. Like probably people were excited, but it wasn't like super, um, I don't know, a bunch of stars or anything, but there weren't too many like last minute replacements or like debutantes. As a matter of fact, I don't think there was a single 
debutante on the card, which is like what has been kind of like souring me from the UFC lately. Like there's just been too many fucking fights cobbled together. It's like like a fight card should be like a work of art. And and lately they've been like arts and crafts projects that you do in school with fucking Elmer's glue and those rounded scissors that they give kindergartners. You know what I mean? Like the Fisar or Fiskar, whatever, how do you pronounce it? Fucking cobbled together cards. And um, this one was actually uh, pretty nice. And next week's is uh, pretty nice as well. So um, let's actually just give a quick rundown of what we're going to cover today. Um, we are going to recap, and by we, I mean me, because it's me, it's my show. Um, for now, anyway, more on that later. Um, we're going to recap UFC 256. Also going to cover some news, really just kind of one major story, but I want to diatribe about that for a while. Um, obviously, we're going to have a forum. That is what inspired this episode, um, other than the fact that, like I said, uh, I want to do something for 256 because it was a really good card. And, uh, you know, the show can exist without listener input. It just, it's been like that since basically the beginning. Um, I think I only did like the first maybe nine or 10 episodes without, uh, voice questions or, or, or questions of any kind really. And, uh, you know, this show needs to exist, uh, with those. So, um, shout out to, uh, Milliken, MMA Catfish, and, uh, and the homie Yugi, and uh, obviously Phil the MMA dude as well for sending in these questions. Um, yeah, I actually, it's funny. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. So we're also going to preview next week's fight card, uh, headlined by Wonderboy Thompson versus Jeff Neal. Um, and that will take us uh, out. Um, but I was actually, <laughs> I wasn't planning to do that uh, Genuine song Initially, my first one I wanted to do was No Diggity. Um, and then in like kind of trying to write the the verse, it just, it, I wasn't changing enough words. Like it was basically the same song, uh, especially um, after the rap, like when it got to the hook, when it was like, uh, it's going down, good Lord. Like that was the fucking same. And I was like, you know what? I don't need to, you know what? Fuck that. I'm going to do it real quick. Um, We'll just do it without any beat. Just like I, I fucking I love the the first part because I was just like, this is the way to do it. It's going down. Check the podcast. The homies from Twitter collab and send me questions. Just like Millie, no doubt. I'll put it down, never slouch. As long as my show can vouch these dogs couldn't catch me. Get out. Tell me who can stop with juice making moves. Attracting honeys like a magnet. Giving them orgasms with my mellow wax in. Still moving this flavor with the homies Catfish and Yugi. The original rump shakers. <laughs> I was just like, I got Millie in there for Milligan. Fucking Catfish and Yugi. I wrote this before uh, Phil sent the question. So, so shout out to Phil as well. But I was like, this is the fucking way. And then I just just couldn't really um get past that but i was like you know what? i want to fucking i want to do a banger of an intro so i i got that pony one um queued up anyway i'm uh i'm a little bit too on myself right now let's uh let's bring it back to what this show is about which is about fighting well it's fighting with myself so there you go but I'm going to recap every single fucking fight from UFC 256, dude. That card was amazing. I'm not going to lie. Uh, I really loved every single fight. And maybe just because, like, you know, and, I, and I'm, I'm a believer in this. And this is part of why I took a hiatus, too, is that, like, absence makes the heart grow fonder. Um, now, with most things in life, you don't need that. Like, I'm not sitting here saying, like, things that you love you should take a break from. No, but when it comes to the, like, fighting and sports and stuff like that, like, bro, you don't need it every week. 
and sometimes it's great to have, but it, it, it makes it kind of watered down. I feel like I was just so, like the anticipation for a big car like that. You can't beat it. And when you're having to do back to back cards, it just loses it. Like I, I was actually on the TKO podcast talking about this. I don't think the show has dropped yet. So I don't want to kind of, uh, uh, I don't want to say too much, although I did, I did give someone a shout out on, on that episode. Um, and I didn't know they, they even listened to my show. And then afterwards, someone made those posts of like, check out these podcasts. And they tagged me and I was like, oh shit, like what's going on anyway, dude. Um, I was on taking a podcast and I was like, you know, like when the UFC social media account, uh, used to be like, and then when they have those like back to back stretches of like 13 weeks, with fight cards, sometimes multiple per, per week. Um, and this is actually, this is even before Corona. And I feel like they haven't even taken, since they came back, they haven't taken a break. Um, so it's like, there's been even more than 13 weeks, but they have these long stretches and then, you know, fights on a Saturday, they have like Sunday to like take a break. And then every Monday it was like, it's fight week. I was like, it was just fight week. Like, come on, bro. You can't get excited for some shit that you already just saw as well. I mean, obviously it's new people, but anyway, I'm bugging. Here we go. Uh, opening up the fight card was Chase Hooper versus Peter Barrett. Um, Chase defeated Peter uh, via heel hook in round three. And the story of this fight is a bit interesting because afterward, most people were like, oh, Chase was getting lit up. He was getting dominated. He was... Uh, in trouble, he pulled that submission out of his ass. And while I was kind of on that narrative as well, I won't say that I wasn't because I don't know, maybe I'm just not, especially after losing to Alex Caceres, like I kind of fell off Chase Hooper a little bit. I was like, eh, say so he's okay. Um, I wasn't like touting him as this big prospect or anything. So I was just kind of like looking forward to a good scrap. And it looked like he was trying, he was getting off some shots. And, um, you know, Peter was mostly just pressuring him. That's what I saw from Peter Bear was just pressure. Uh, which works. Don't get me wrong. Like he was on his way to probably winning the decision. Um, and especially with the leg kicks as well. But then Chase Hooper posted this status on Instagram or post or whatever they're calling Instagram or fucking Instagrams or whatever. But um, he posted a picture of the stats from ESPN where he was just edging out Peter in every single category. I'm pretty sure it was every single. He said it was every single. And then I looked at it and I was, I'm pretty sure that's correct. Um, so it wasn't like he was getting outstruck entirely. Yeah, I know the numbers don't tell the full story of a fight, but when you're talking about effective striking, the numbers do matter in a sense. Like you can't say he was completely getting dominated when he landed more strikes. Like it's just, it is what it is. Um, but like I said, if I was scoring the fight, I probably would have scored it for Peter Barrett up until that point. It, it just, I, I, I feel it's a, it's a little bit unfair to say that he was... Um, like getting beat the fuck up. Um, it just, that just didn't happen. He was, he looked a little lost in the feet, but he was trying and he was throwing strikes and he was landing. So I think he deserves some credit for that. Now, uh, another part of the narrative that's come out is that, oh, if he faces a, a striker that has good takedown defense, good grappling defense, uh, it's like submission defense, he's gonna lose badly. And I can't disagree with that. I really can't. Like, I think about him facing, like, an Andre Feely, a fucking, uh, you know, Shane Burgos. That's going to be a tough night for him, if not an, a quick night that it doesn't go his way. 
Um, like that's going to be really bad. But as he even said in the post fight uh, interview, he's not yet in his physical prime. Like he's still uh, developing as a fighter, even though he's been training for a really long time. He's still uh, needing that cage time. He's still uh, needing to get in his physical prime. So honestly, I, I would say within a year or two, Chase moves up to lightweight just because of like growing. Like if you look at biologically, I believe that men don't stop growing until they're 26. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, Chase is 20, I think, I don't think he's 21 yet. He could be, I don't keep track of people's ages. It's weird, but you know what I mean? He's a young pup, but moving on from that, I'm, I'm excited to see where Chase Hooper goes from here. Um, and I was really excited for this next fight. I mean, obviously I was excited for it while it was happening as well. It was a, it was a good fight with Tisha Torres versus, uh, Sam, Sam Page Hughes, big shout out to my man, combat sports with Rhino. Uh, Rhino Gang, fucking, he had Sampage on like just like a week or two ago, um, before this fight, and uh, I text him right away. We we text all the time. I was like, this interview is amazing. Like, I love this girl, Sampage. Uh, call me a Stampage. Like, <laughs> that's so dumb. Anyway, <laughs> that's not where her fans should be called. Um, or maybe they should. I don't know. But uh, I was a fan, like her personality. Like she was, so, she was so cute. Like I just uh, was a big fan of her. And um, obviously, I'm a big fan of Angela Hill. Like she's probably my favorite strawweight, not named Rose Namajunas. And uh, when uh, I was excited for her to get that rematch against Tisha, and then uh, hearing her, her got COVID, especially like not just like going out of the fight, like she has COVID, and I was like, oh man. That fucking really sucks. Uh, but then I was uh, super excited for Sam to to get her debut. And Tisha was like, oh, no, you are not going to make a name off me. No, not today, boo-boo. She fucking, she she was out kickboxing her. She was out, like, in, in the interview with um, uh, with Rhino, Sam, Sam Page, she was like, you know, I, I got, like, a lot of grappling wins and things like that. Like, I, I showcased a lot of grappling in my fights. But I started with kickboxing. Like, I'm at a kickboxing camp and... Um, you know, I'm an underrated kickboxer. Like people are going to find out. And Tisha was like, no, they're not. <laughs> they're not going to find out. Like, <laughs> well, Tisha's like forever been, you know, uh, like if you look at her fights on the ultimate fighter, like she's tiny tornado for a reason. She was throwing like, she would always throw spin kicks. I'm pretty sure she has a black belt in Taekwondo. Like that's her base. Um, she, she was out kicking, um, Tisha or she was out. Tisha was out kicking Sam for sure. And, uh, they called the fight after round one via a doctor stoppage. You know, I, I'm not, I really hate when people sit at home and say, oh, they quit or whatever. And I didn't see a ton of that, but I, I saw, I feel like I saw some people say that, um, or at least they said on the broadcast how, like, I, I want to say it was DC. He was like, you know, if you say that you can't see, they're going to stop the fight. So if you want to fight, you say that you can. I'm like, so are we going to penalize people for being honest now? Like she can't see it's probably unsafe for her to fight. That's she shouldn't be fucking shamed for that. And and I get like the warrior spirit. I love that. I love when a guy's like, let's fucking go. Like, don't stop the fight. Like, um, you know, it, it just, it is what it is. But, um, I wasn't sitting here saying like, you know, let's not have her fight. She took this fight on short notice. It was her UFC debut. And if I'm not mistaken, she's a flyweight and they did this fight at, uh, straw weight. I thought, Tisha's definitely a straw weight. It was a straw weight fight initially. So yeah, just, uh, just crazy to see some of the, some of the backlash about that, but looking forward to Sam page being in the UFC, 
I hope. I mean, we'll get to that new in the news section, but man, these fucking round of cuts is going to suck. Like, I understand, like when you're going to cut somebody or when you have to make a massive cuts, you look at who's expendable. Someone who uh, is just coming to the UFC and um, lost their debut. You could say they're expendable. Not much uh, argument for me there. However, people that save a fight, save a fight. I mean, she didn't save the whole card, but she saved a fight on the card. The the, the card was kind of um, light without without would have would have been lighter without that fight. And um, I, I just think you you should reward that. At least give her one more shot. Like if they cut her, I'll be very mad because, like I said. I'm a big fan of her now. I'm always a big fan. I'm all or nothing, dude. I'm a big fan or I'm not a fan. I hate you or I love you. And right now, it's all love. Speaking of love, I love Gavin Tucker. Gavin Tucker defeated Billy Q, Billy Quarantillo, Quarantillo, Quarantino. Not sure what it is. Again, like it's one of those things, like if you look at it, it's a Spanish name, it's Quarantillo, but it, I don't think it is. Well, I mean, maybe. But all in the broadcast, I always say Quarantillo, so... We're just calling him Billy Q. It's a that's a badass nickname anyway. Like any any fighter that is uh, named Susie, I feel like they should be called Susie Q. So the fact that he took advantage of being Billy Q, respect. But Gavin Tucker took advantage of being a better fighter. I don't know. Um, Gavin Tucker lit him up, dude. This is an amazing fight. And I was thinking about this too uh, during the fight uh, because next week Rick Glenn is fighting. Uh, Rick Glenn fought Gavin Tucker at UFC 215 in Edmonton, and it was like a fucking the worst refing I've ever seen. It was a murder case. Gavin broke his face in like 27 places, something like that. I look look it up, or I mean, you don't have to like fact check me, but like if if you're curious to know, look it up. Uh, it was really bad, and uh, that ref was like fired immediately. I'm pretty sure they took him off the card. I know that definitely happened with the with the Mike Davis Thomas Gifford fight. Um, but I'm pretty sure it happened this as well. Like that ref was terrible. He let Gavin Tucker take this immense beating. And beatings like that, like they change a person. Your career is not the same after. But he took a long layoff and he came back and he's been winning ever since. So he's a big inspiration to me, especially before he was a fighter, he was a jazz musician. Um, like he one time did this interview with MMA Digest where he talked a lot about it and he um, said all the different instruments he can play. And then he said he like ended up selling his guitars to fund his MMA career and like fund his training and stuff like that. And it kind of makes me sad. Like I, I like fighters that have more than one dimension. Like I like that he was like, I'm, I got to be all in on this. I got to give up music. I can't, you know, get beat up in the cage, you know, by focusing on something else. But I like when fighters have other interests, dude. Like I wish he would have kept at least one guitar. Maybe he did. Maybe he bought him back. I don't know. But uh, just to kind of like fucking, can you imagine if he did his own walkout music? Like, give him a pocket amp, dude. Like, like motherfucking like Jack Black in School of Rock when he had that little pocket amp. Give him a pocket amp. Let him play his own fucking walkout music. Normalize spectacular walkouts, UFC. Stop, stop fucking trying to water this shit down. Like when Izzy did his fucking walkout at uh, Melbourne uh, in the Marvel Stadium. And it was obviously the best walkout of all time. I mean, up there in the top three or four, four five. And Danny was like, I don't usually like walkouts like that, but it works for him. Bro. I mean, obviously he's the best at it, 
But come on, someone wants to do something like that, you let them. Like, I was glad that they let Mark Hunt do the haka in uh, in one of his fights. I mean, it's really badass when they let Alimale do it over in Bellator. So obviously, they should do more of that. Honestly, I love a good haka. I love a good haka. But I'm getting ahead of myself. This fight, dude, was incredible. And uh, I wasn't. I'm not going to say that uh, Billy Q got dominated or whatever, but. I, I think it's pretty clear Gavin won every round. I think the judges agree with me as well. I don't often, I don't like to pull up the scorecards because um, sometimes judges ain't shit anyway, but Gavin Tucker won that fight soundly. And uh, he was on the on the mic afterwards with Joe Rogan saying like, oh, it probably wasn't like a pretty looking performance. Man, shut up. It was good. <laughs> you were good. Um, but yeah, Billy Q hung in there and I think he's he's not going anywhere for sure. I just... Gavin Tucker's like on the rise. So I really want him to get a, a, a ranked opponent next. I hope that's uh, the case. Ooh, how about Gavin Tucker versus Dan Ige? I really, I I don't do that on my show. Like, well, what's next for him? Let's do look man. Other people are better at that than me. Um, so I, it's just not my thing. But how about Gavin Tucker versus Dan Ige, dude? How about that? Um, I'll tell you what I was really excited for as well. Uh, Rafael Fiziev. Defeated Renato Moicano in uh, round one via KO. Brutal fucking KO, dude. And there was something like, dude, when this fight got announced, or when it was, I think it may have been actually scheduled for another card and then it got moved because of injuries or COVID or something. Uh, but I, I, may, I had a tweet back in November that I was like, I was like, Fiziev is going to wreck Moicano. He's going to wreck him. And there were, ton- there, dude, there were plenty of people, especially one, and I'm not going to call him out because he's is a, a really nice guy. Um, but someone was like, oh, this is actually going to go the opposite. Like, Fizzy is the most overrated. McConnell's the most underrated. I'm like, okay. He's not, though. And that's what happened. Like, I, I don't often get him right like I did with this one. So when I do, I got to puff my chest a little bit. Um, yeah. Fizzy is one to watch from from here on out. Like he fucking, oh that that Muay Thai is so beautiful, dude. He knocked Moicano the fuck out to the point. Here's the thing as well, which was like interesting to me. Moicano looked mu- like significantly bigger than him, or at least taller. But like that kind of matters. And Hanato used to fight at featherweight, so I was like, how is this gonna f- fare with with Fizzy? If I didn't even think about that, no, he was like, oh you tall bigger target or whatever like he just fucking wrecked him dude and i said i said it after his debut i hope he never learns english dude like a lot of people are like this guy needs to learn english bro his broken english is so much better broken english over anything dude when he's like yes i i love much for the fighter please give me this like keep that i love everything about it like joe rogan asked a question answers nothing to do with that please keep it like that never learn english like keep keep it fresh keep learning that same and probably like make it make it so that that you uh can understand like but you know keep it like that it's the best um so so moving on i was so fucking pumped up like before the gavin tucker fight this is also like this fight night i kind of made my return to twitter a little bit even though i'm still kind of like intermittently out but uh um i tweeted about the gavin tucker fight i was like oh someone's gonna die in this fight this is gonna be amazing I was right about that. Uh, I fucking predicted way early about the Fizia fight. Right about that. So I was like, I'm feeling myself. And you know what? Daniel Panetta in his last fight, he fucking beat the dog shit out of Herbert Burns. And uh, Cub Swanson, no disrespect, has not looked that great in his last few fights. So I was just like, 
you know what? Daniel Pineda is going to fucking make mince meat out of Cub Swanson. You all dragged me, and rightly so. I can't believe it. And by the way, I am a Cub Swanson fan. Like, I'm not a huge fan, but I like the guy, and he's a legend and deserves our respect. So I was just kind of on my bullshit with that. I was just like, yeah, man, like, fuck this. <laughs> Pineda's going to fucking wreck. And then... <laughs> Oh, I got dragged. And and like I said, I deserved it. I even said, like, after the fight, I was like, okay, y'all, drag me. Let's go. I deserve this. Come on. Um, and then I seen, like, uh, Jessica, I always pronounce her last name wrong, Knappick, Knappick, the, the Crystals girl, she's so cool, um, was, like, posting a picture with, of, of her at uh, 244 with Cub. And I was like, oh, man, I'm so dumb. I'm such an asshole. Um, but, yeah, Cub Swanson looked good. And, and honestly, like that was, that was a feel good moment. That was honestly, like, I was glad to be wrong about that one. I was like, yes, let's get cut back in the win column. This is very nice. Very nice. And that kind of rounded out the prelims nicely. Cause moving into the main card, um, Cyril Gan, I think it's gone actually. I've been kind of saying, Gan. I honestly, I think both are okay. Like people for, for a while have been asking me in there and they kind of like, I feel like so many people were pronouncing it. Those are like, oh, is it Gagne? Wh- where is there an indication that they would have like a yes sound in there? There's not. It just simply isn't there. Um, uh, he's French. Like uh, he's he's French, and so like the French is like it would be like a gan, like a nasalized. But I guess it's like gone, gone, gone. You can say gone. That's fine. Um, but anyway, he beat the fuck out of JDS, and I want to give a shout out to G uh, on the Wocast uh, for I think like a perfect analysis, uh, like post fight analysis of what happened here. She kind of likened it to her own experience with like being up in age and getting tattoos. Um, she was like, "I have a lot of tattoos as I'm older, like I can't handle the pain," and that's what feels like JDS was like. It's like he's been in so many wars that he just can't take the pain. Like he looked seriously like affected by a lot of these big shots and i was just like that's spot on to be honest like that's what happened really and 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 people were uh saying the elbow was controversial Uh -uh. that was right on the ear brother that was right on the ear it rolled because of how jds like kind of turned away from it it kind of rolled to like a little bit of the back of the head but it connected with the ear and like that's legal that's it dude like that's fucking textbook right there so um that's how that goes and uh there's not much for me to say about this fight because I, I, you know, JDS is one of those fighters that, that makes me happy. Like he's so fucking nice dude. And like videos of him, like singing and dancing, it just, it it gives me like joy. So I I take no joy in this, but but at the same time I predicted it. Like he's on the downswing and Cyril is on the upswing. Like this guy is one to watch. Um, I'm very excited for him especially because he's like an athletic heavyweight. He's, he's like an Adonis. Like the motherfucker is like a statue, like just cut up. I love to see it. Um, <laughs> anyway, so yes, Cyril had the beautiful, like Matt Brown style elbow, which put JDS away. Uh, and talk about beautiful Kevin Holland, knocking out Ronaldo Jacare Souza from the bottom via nasty KO in the in round one, bruh, I was like, oh my God. First of all, never let Kevin Holland fight in front of fans again. I do not want to have these motherfucking idiot fans drowning out the beauty that is Kevin Holland talking in the middle of a fight. Bro, I love everything about it. And he's sitting on the bar, he's like, oh, I had a dream about this. <laughs> 
If we get to a point where you can have Fanta fights, and by the way, I've attended many fights. I'm not trying to take that away from anybody. There's plenty of people that are like, I like to attend fights. Like, I miss that. And like, okay, fine. But every time I've been on a fight, I'm in a section where the cucks are wooing so loudly. And like when I went to um, uh, UFC in Atlantic City, that was probably one of the best uh, seats I had for, a, well, it definitely was the best seat I had for a UFC fight. Um but I had a little bit better seats for a Bellator fight at the Forum, so um, the Forum in Inglewood. But uh, I was like on the first risers or whatever, the kind of like like not floor seats, but up above above them. And uh, we had really good seats, and for the most part, like our section was was cool. But there were a ton of fights happening in the crowd, and like while that's kind of interesting, like it happened during uh, there was one during Aljo's post fight interview, and he was like looking at him, <laughs> looking at the fight, like. What's going on over there? Like, I, I guess people were beefing over uh, the decision uh, between Aljo and Brett Johns. But I was like, I don't give a fuck. Like, I'll miss those so we can have, so we can hear the corners, so we can hear the commentary talking to the fighters. We can hear the fighters talking to each other. It's the best. There's nothing I I, I can I can say that would just like convince anyone who who thinks differently. It's the best. It's the best, especially with Kevin Holland, especially with Kevin Holland. And listen, we're going to talk about this a little bit more with um, uh, the main event and essentially um, the next show. When I say that, I don't necessarily mean the next episode. I mean like the new show that I'm going to come back with. Spoiler alert. But uh, in my opinion, it's a two-horse race for fighter of the year. Kevin Holland and Jefferson Figueiredo. If you think it's Kevin Holland, that's fine. If you think it's Figueiredo, that's fine fine what's not fine to me is to like make a big deal of arguing about because it's fucking arbitrary number one everyone has their own criteria it's like the goat conversation if you think the criteria has to be that they went undefeated perfect kevin holland deserves that especially going five and oh in seven months pretty sure that's ufc record that's pretty fucking awesome and uh he did it in style he did it in fucking style if you think the criteria has to be a champion, that's fine. To me, it's 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 a tie. I, like I just can't I can't justify picking one over the other. Like, um, kind of like what I did with my last uh, year end awards. I'm pretty sure I did uh, nail like one person each for like female fight of the year and male fight of the year. But beyond that, when it comes to like KO of the year, sub of the year, I named a bunch of them because like, how can you take away from any, any of these other performances? Like, that's how I feel about this fighter of the year thing this year. Like, how can you take away from Kevin Holland? Like, how can you not give it to Kevin Holland? But how can you not give it to Figueiredo? Like, it is what it is. I mean, obviously, if, if Brandon had, had won, that's another story. Um, like, people are saying like, oh, he ended in a draw. Like, that shouldn't count. I mean, I don't know. Like... I'm I'm getting ahead of myself though. Let, let, let's let's get there when we get there. So Mackenzie Dern versus Virna Janjiroba. Or sorry. Janjiroba. There was a fucking big like discrepancy with the how the people were pronouncing it on the on the broadcast. I asked Fernanda about um one of the fighters on um on next week's card. Um and I but I saw her tweet about this about how saying that it's it's not it's not Genji Doba, it's Genji Roba. Like the R is there. I'm like, yeah, it is. It is. Anyway, um, very interesting fight. I should have seen this coming. Like, 
somehow when it comes to like grapplers, like I know when two wrestlers fight, right, it mostly becomes a stand-up fight because they can't take each other down. Or they, they're they're really like, you know, it's going to get into like a weird scramble situation. Maybe one of them has better jujitsu, and then like that would be the deciding factor. I don't know. But for some reason when it's like to like jujitsu players, we want that chess match like we got with the next fight with Oliveira and Tony Ferguson. I mean, even though it was a fucking domination but um we want that back and forth jiu-jitsu chess match we want to see the grappling ensue and we didn't get that like yeah two grapplers sometimes cancel each other out but i just i didn't see that happening with with these ladies number one i didn't see it with them being more jiu-jitsu than wrestling however that is what happened like there was a, a few scrambles i feel but mostly it was uh on the feet and it was sloppy as fuck yo not gonna lie like uh, there were people saying like they should have gotten a bonus and I'm like that's fine and I and I don't want to take away from any of these performances because they fought their fucking hearts out but if we're rewarding like technical fights it wasn't that like they're very technical on the ground but this fight didn't go to the ground that's just my opinion again I'm not trying to, to drag anybody who feels that way I want all the fighters to get all the bonuses fighters are vastly underpaid and um I guess I'm cautiously optimistic that maybe they'll get some people can negotiate a raise uh, if they last uh, past these cuts. So that being said, not much to say about that. Although I will, I will add this um, about uh, Mackenzie Dern when she first, when I, when I, so when I first um, started watching Mackenzie Dern, the, th- the thing about her accent was, I'm not going to lie, it was a little bit of a focal point with me. Uh, I was just like, why is it so different? And I get like, that's kind of my forte. I should know that um, as far as like accents and dialects and language and people speaking, speaking back and forth. Like you can tell, uh, I would have friends that uh, in, in college that um, we, we would have to speak in... Uh, they called it SAP, Standard American Pronunciation, or GAP, General American Pronunciation, like a non-regional American dialect for like 90% of our scenes. Um, but then sometimes they, w- I would uh, have people who speak another language and you could tell if they had just gotten off the phone with their family because the accent would creep through. And I'm like, you just got off the phone with your parents, didn't you? And they'd be like, yeah. And so that's clearly sort of, I mean, it makes sense, right? Uh but I just, I didn't get it because I saw like all the controversy, all these like videos that people were making and I fucking fell for it. I feel so dumb, dude. Cause honestly, like now when people are saying that and, and I got, and I got to give credit where credit is due. Uh, it was basically a, an article that, uh, Fernanda had written about it. Like if you're still talking about McKinsey Jones accent, like you're a fucking idiot. And I was like, yeah, I am an idiot basically. <laughs> like, I don't know what to say other than I was wrong, vastly wrong. And, and so I, I haven't talked about that in a long, long time. Um, and so now I, when I see people talking about it, I'm like, you got to check these fools. Um, you got to check them. Just absolutely check them. Like anyone that talks about McKinsey Dern's accent on the on, on Twitter now, like just drag them. Just absolutely drag them. Like, oh, so you're racist? Just kidding. Don't do that, but like do that. Um, but don't do it. <laughs> Moving on to the co-main event, dude. Charles Oliveira versus Tony Ferguson. Now, here's the thing. I'm a big Tony Ferguson fan. If you listen to this podcast in its entirety, meaning all the episodes or even most of the episodes, you know that. I basically talked about Tony Ferguson in episodes where he didn't even need to be mentioned because he wasn't fighting. Like I've talked about Tony Ferguson a lot. And you know what, dude? 
I'm sad. I'm not gonna lie. I'm sad. I'm even sadder to be honest because this could have this could have been a great kind of like passing the torch moment. Uh, because Charles Oliveira kind of needed that that name to kind of put him over. Like he's had the winning streak. Kevin Lee's somewhat of a name, and that was an impressive fucking victory that he had his last fight, but. This was way, way more impressive, especially because Kevin Lee had some success in that fight, whereas Tony had basically none. And you go on Tony's Instagram, and he's making a fucking video saying Charles Oliveira broke in the first round, and then he couldn't get to mount afterward. Like, come on, bro. What are you, Dominic Cruz? What are you, fucking TJ Dillashaw? What are you, fucking Michael Chiesa? Like, these terrible, like, People are who are terrible at taking losses. I just, I'm so disappointed in Tony. I'm not gonna lie. And, and, and here's the thing: I'm not gonna abandon him like a lot of people are, or, or you see some people. Like I love that meme. Someone shared the like Splinter, uh, um, with with the the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles meme with them as babies and like walking like this is Tony Ferguson. Real MMA fans like stuck with him. I'm like, yes, dude. Like that's me. I'm sticking with Tony. But right now, I'm fucking pissed at Tony. I'm pissed at Tony for not acknowledging what a beatdown he received. And don't get me wrong, like he didn't take a ton of damage. It was mostly on the ground, but it was utter domination. He wasn't winning a second of that fight. As a matter of fact, his greatest success was not tapping to that armbar, in my opinion, because bro, that was nasty. One or two seconds more, and they probably would have stopped the fight because they would have heard the arm break. Seriously. That was tight. That was uh painful painful to watch and there's a lot of people saying like like a lot of like jujitsu guys and people who are like we're already Oliveira fans saying like because because now it's been like a fight where like tony fans are saying okay if they met two years ago tony would have beat him just saying and the Oliveira fans are like no look at that his jujitsu was uh was he's way ahead of him in jujitsu like that same thing would have happened and i get that uh but I just think, th- for, I mean, first of all, it's it's a needless argument anyway. Like, there's no way to even tell that for for real, and there's no point in it because the fight already happened. It's not like we're gonna fucking get in a time machine and like, okay, let's run it back. Let's let's find Charles Oliver in 2017 and Tony Ferguson in 2017. Like, no, dude, come on. But I look at it this way: like, think about the fight between Oliveira and Paul Felder. Paul was able to get dominant position and land these nasty elbows, which into a TKO. And I'm not saying that Tony would have finished him, but what I am saying is this. Tony looked slower. Tony looked like his striking wasn't getting off. And uh, like the improvements that Oliveira has made in his striking caused him to be able to get the positions that he did. But Tony, before the Gaethje fight, could have probably avoided those situations and his speed, like Tony, dude, look at the RDA fight. Like that Tony is a, a world beater in my opinion. Um, and uh, I'm not going to sit here and be like salty and say like, you know, I just think that's a whole thing. Oliver deserves his credit. Like that was an absolute masterclass of a performance. I just kind of want to send a little message to the Oliver fan saying like, oh no, he would have beat him. Like, look at his record, bro. Just stop. Just stop. You're looking stupid. Like, just look at his record. He's had a ton of losses. Anyway. And I'm not saying like I hate when people say like people that have losses are like not shit or whatever, but it is what it is. This is part of why I got uh, away from MMA because people are arguing about the wrong things. Speaking of arguing about the wrong things, let's talk about the main event. 
Oh, let's talk about the main event. <laughs> First of all, respect to both men. Jefferson Figueiredo and Brandon Moreno put on an absolute war. Is it fight of the year? No. Is it one of them? Yes. Easily top five fights of the year. Easily best flyweight uh, fight of all time. Or at least best uh, flyweight title fight. I think there was a flyweight fight. I think it was flyweight. Lineker versus Luis Godineau. I mean, that fucking, that, that fight does not get enough love. Um, I probably pronounced the Luis guy's last name wrong. Um, him I don't have a lot of uh, experience with to be able to like know what, how his name should be pronounced. But um, yeah, dude, this fight was incredible. And just all heart from both guys. Ton of fucking surprising moments from Brendan Moreno. I mean, not not to say that I wasn't like, there were a ton of people like, yeah, Figgy's going to do what Figgy does. Brandon Moreno's like another body. Like, yeah, dude, you ain't shit. Like, Brandon Moreno was not in there to just grab a paycheck, dude. He was there to earn your respect. And he deserved it from, from the beginning, dude. This is a guy who never should have been cut from the UFC. Um, fuck anyone who wanted to get rid of the flyweight division. Like, literally, go fuck yourself, dude. The flyweights are always exciting. Always. Whenever I see these fucking nasty teenage trolls on MMA Twitter talking about like team flyweight versus team heavyweight, you're stupid. Okay? You're stupid. Anyway, flyweights are always, always going to deliver. The cardio is insane. The output is insane. The volume. I just love every second of it. And that's, this was the perfect showcase to show here's why you can't get rid of the flyweights. Like, there's been a whole narrative about Henry Cejudo like saving the flyweight division. And if you think that, you ain't shit because he ain't shit. He fucking fought uh, TJ Dillashaw, which if you're going to say that fight saved the flyweight division, TJ deserves partial credit for that, even though I never want to give TJ credit for anything because uh, he's a piece of shit. But it takes two to tango, and he was a name. He was a former champion, so that deserves credit in his own way. But then Henry Suda didn't stick around. This motherfucker went up to uh, 135 and made me eat my own asshole. So fuck him. And fuck anyone, like, the flyweight division still was looked at as, like, not a moneymaker at that point. It wasn't until they got a star, like Javison Figueiredo, who came in a wreck shop, who now is like, that's the real fucking savior of the flyweight division. He's an active champion. They both broke a record. Well, you guys probably already knew this, but both, uh, both of them fought 21 days before this fight on the same card. Which he should have had that fight anyway. Like that's why I'm so hyped for the rematch because Moreno is going to get a full camp. I mean, they're both going to get a full camp, obviously. But it's going to be lit. And here's the thing: a lot of people are talking about the point deduction. Because here's what I mean about like the draw. It's not a lot of controversy because honestly, this this was a really tough fight to score, and a lot of people think Moreno won rounds two, three, and four, uh, which is interesting to me because if you think about the point deduction. Uh, he would have won by an even bigger margin in that case. Um, but I honestly didn't know who won each round. Like, there were mo- like during there were plenty of moments where I was like, "Oh, Brandon Moreno has success here," but I didn't like keep a scorecard. I, I'm not that guy, dude. I hate the tempo. I must have some. I hate round by round scoring. I just didn't do that. But it's such a hard uh, fight to score. If you look at the how the fight turned out, like. If you judge the fight as a whole, like Pride style, it was a draw, in my opinion. Like that's what it was. But if you look at mathematically from the two point from the ten point must system, uh, the way that the judges scored it, the two judges that had it a draw, they had Figgy winning, b- besides the point deduction. So 
what happened was you had one judge who didn't know what he was watching, gave four rounds to Figueredo, um, and then you had two judges who gave it three rounds to two, which is probably a little more fair, and then the point deduction made it a draw. But let's talk about the point deduction. There are people saying like, oh, you should never deduct a point. Listen, calm the fuck down. First of all, that guy was landing multiple eye pokes that went un, unchecked, that went undisciplined uh, or whatever the word is. Um, the ref didn't, didn't do anything for, about the eye pokes, especially when they were on the ground. The motherfucker was just pressing his uh, his fingers into Moreno's eye. Like that shit was disgusting to me. I was like, this guy needs to be fucking reprimanded, him being Figueredo. Now, DC and Hawani had an excellent point about the uh, about the point deduction. Like people are saying, you don't take it from a champion on the first... Bro, point deductions do not care about who the fighter is. Champion or challenger, uh, red corner, blue corner, ranked and not ranked. That doesn't mean shit when it comes to point deductions. It's about what happened. First of all, I'm of the of the opinion that they should be... That, that point should be deducted after every foul. Because first of all, fuck the 10-point must system anyway. Secondly, fuck fouls. You know uh, what you did. And and you can fight within the rules and not be a dirty fighter. So shut the fuck up. Secondly, what the rule states is that what matters, um, the severity of the foul is is what kind of indicates whether or not a point should be deducted. And it's at the ref's discretion. And what they saw was uh, Figueredo launching Brandon Moreno's nuts into his throat. Brandon Moreno was coughing, dude. He was doubled over coughing. And Figueredo was looking for uh, some time to rest, in my opinion. I mean, that's pure speculation, so I'm not going to get into that. It's, you know, me being a salty Moreno fan. But, dude, like anyone that's saying that Figgy shouldn't have a, had a point uh, deducted, uh, not, you're wrong. I just, I don't want to get like two, but like, you're wrong. Like that just, it was so necessary. And so when, when Jason Herzog deducted a point right away, I was fucking applauding in my living room. I was like, yeah, dude, Jason Herzog, even though he let Anthony Smith take the beating of his life, and I was like, what the fuck were you doing? He is an excellent ref. He's an excellent ref. He's one of the best. And that point deduction was hashtag super necessary, even though Masvidal is a hashtag clown, so fuck that uh, phrase. But it was 100% necessary, if not more. Like more points should have been deducted in my opinion. But I won't I won't get it too much because the point of, of this is this fight was incredible. It was everything that the flyweight division needed. It was everything that I needed in my life to be like an MMA fan again. I was just like, wow, I'm, I'm witnessing greatness right now. Like anyone that thought Moreno was like an underdog and by all accounts he was, but anyone that thought he didn't have a chance, like I knew this would go the distance. Like he's so fucking tough, dude. And and look at it, dude, the post interview, he's bruised, swelling, cut up and he's like smiling he's like i'm so happy that was an amazing fight like how do you not love that guy how do you not love brandon moreno i get being a figurino fan and i'm coming around on the guy but like how do you not love brandon moreno how do you not love that so we need we need that we need more of that in my opinion we, we need more of it and now let's talk about what i what i kind of alluded to earlier which is like the whole fighter of the year controversy like people are saying uh, if your last fight ended in a draw, you shouldn't have the fighter of the year title. If you missed weight for a title fight, 
you shouldn't have uh, the fighter of the year title. Okay. So that's fine. Again, these are all like, we're making up our own criteria here. So if you have that criteria, that's fine. But in my opinion, it's, 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 it's a complicated argument to make. It does. That's why I hate hate that the fact that it's just one, it doesn't have to be either one. Um, Because historically, if you look at it, the fighter of the year has, I want to say always, if not almost always been a champion. So, that belt has more weight, unfortunately. Um, you know, so the fact that Figueiredo beat Joseph Benavides back to back in brutal fashion, and you know, unfortunately, it, like that was hard to watch for me because I'm a big Joseph Benavides fan. But you know, he beat him back to back in brutal fashion. He did miss weight for the first time, but he made up for it, right? Like if he. I mean, I hate that the rematch happened because I knew it was going to end just the same way. But if he had missed weight, let's say, and then he fought somebody else, it would have it, it would have just had like a different stain on it. The fact that they got to run it back, it's like let's do the same opponent, whatever. Let's run it back, get another opportunity. He made weight. He did, he did everything he needed. So we kind of made up for that in my mind, even though uh, I am critical of weight missers. Like you know, it's one of those things where you know I've never cut weight, so I can't really say how bad it is. But at the same time, you have tons of people making weight all the time. So find a goddamn nutritionist, find a weight class that fits your body. Like, I don't know. I'm just, I'm anti-weight cutting. However, um, the fact that he's a champion, I think has a lot of weight in this conversation. Um, the five and zero for Kevin Holland has a ton of weight. And especially in the short amount of time that he did it in. But, uh, I don't think it's fair to, to, to say, but the things about Figueiredo when it when it kind of historically has been a champion. Let's look at the other champions. Uh, Stipe uh, didn't have the belt for the entire year. You know, he was kind of out for a while. He, I think he just had the one fight against Daniel. You look at 205. Uh, it's Jan now. I mean, Jan has a fair case just because he kind of came out of nowhere and, and had this amazing fight against Reyes, but hasn't been that active. Um, Israel Adesanya has not been as active as he would like to be, uh, most because of the pandemic. Um, and his fight against Yoel was not aesthetically the best. I, I maintain that I loved that fight. I don't give a fuck. Probably because I really hate Yoel Romero sometimes. And the fact that he just stood there like a fucking statue. Like, bleh, Yoel's so gross. Um, anyway, um, moving on to Walter, right? Kamaru hasn't been that active. Had that one boring fight with Masvidal where he was like wall install. Like I hate that term, but that's what he was doing, dude. Um, 155. Khabib is retired and only had the one fight, I believe, which obviously father passed away. Like no one's faulting him for that, but it is what it is. Um, Featherweight. Volk. Controversial fight against Max. I'm pretty sure all the champions have had basically just one or two fights. And so that's where it gets tricky. Like, Davison has been active. He had those two title fights against Joseph. Uh, obviously, couldn't do the first one, but then inaugurally got the other one. Beat Alex Perez. Comes back three weeks later, has a draw against Brandon Moreno. Like, the fact that it was short notice, I think, kind of forgives the draw in my mind. I don't know why. Um, it's just it's one of those things that it kind of kind of balances out for me. So 
Like giving giving it to Figueredo is fine for me, but giving it to Kevin Holland is also fine. I, I did not like to see people arguing about it. That's kind of my point with this. And so what I wanted to do, um, you know what? Let me just end um, this segment right now, actually, because uh, I want to get into the news because where I want to talk about what I almost just talked about now. So let me end this segment here and move on to some news. Boom. We're doing news now. So the news that I wanted to discuss a second ago was this. So I kind of did announce my departure from this show a while ago. I said it probably would be my last episode. And then I did a bonus one because people sent in some questions. And then I just did this one because I, I really love the end of the year card. So um I also just kind of wanted to keep in touch with you guys. Like I really missed uh, connecting with my audience and 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 really like some of you guys I consider friends. And um, I wanted to kind of just talk to everybody. It's you know podcasting is very therapeutic for me. Um, so uh, I wanted to kind of just get back a little bit in case you missed it. I haven't not been podcasting. I've been working on my other podcast, which is called Breaking the Fourth Wall. Um, it, it's a theater podcast and I understand like it's, it's kind of niche and it, it's like, it's kind of curated for people who are into theater. Uh, however, my goal with it is to kind of introduce certain shows to people's life that they wouldn't otherwise know about them. And so, uh, I really, really appreciate the people from MMA Twitter, uh, who have like checked it out just because uh, I try and present in a way that it might be interesting for people that even aren't listening to shows. And, so I alternate between doing like a regular play without music, like a standard play, and a musical. And the musicals have music from the shows in them. Like it's a whole kind of experience. And if you have Spotify Premium, you get the full show. Um, or if you just have regular – Spotify is free. Like if you just have a regular account, you get a 30-second preview, which is even cool. Like I kind of picked the songs based on that too because I don't have Spotify Premium. I, I used to have it, but I stopped it. And so I kind of like to hear what people are like the minimum that people would hear. So I kind of pick the songs based on that uh, sometimes. Uh, so the shows that I've been doing, like this last one that I just released, uh, I did an episode on a play called Speed of Darkness, which is about um, a, a family where the, the, the guy, the, the, the dad, the patriarch of the family uh, is a Vietnam War vet and he's a fucking mess as far as like you know, PTSD and all that is concerned, but he kind of holds it together at the top of the show and everything kind of comes like unraveling when someone from his past comes to visit. And it's, it's just like one of the most haunting plays I've ever read. It, it's so heavy and it just touches on these themes that don't really get talked about a lot, I feel. And, uh, th some of the like history of it was really fascinating to me. So I really liked talking about that show and, uh, I hope that people, listen you know to that just just to kind of get something different and you know it's it's a little bit uh it's it's obviously it's it's something different but it's really uh enriched my life so i'm gonna keep doing that um it's the kind of thing that doesn't need to be topical so i can kind of take a break and and return when i need to um but my main thing that i want to talk about earlier is that i'm gonna come back to mma podcasting in a different way so when i when i return officially um it's going to be sometime next year. This may be my last show of, of 2020. I don't know. Um, as far as um, fighting with myself is concerned. But um, when I come back, it's going to be with a co-host. Now, the 
my first choice of a co-host, uh, it's no secret, he's been on the show a few times, he's my, my good buddy, uh, and, and I haven't got like an official confirmation from him as like, yes, I'm in, let's do this. So we still kind of need to have that conversation. And I told him like, you won't offend me. Like, I know it's kind of an undertaking. So you got to decide whether or not you can have the time and, and that's completely fine. So that's going to kind of depend on that. Um, but I do have someone else in mind just in case. And uh, so I, I just kind of decided like, if, if I'm going to return, I need to have a co-host because that way there's less prep and we can just sort of banter and bullshit about the fights and it'll be kind of more lighthearted. And, and it's that's kind of what I want to do with MMA moving on is just kind of be more lighthearted about it and not so goddamn serious like I have been for the past year and a half with this show. Um, so that's kind of what my plans are. And I just wanted to uh, give you guys a heads up about that. Cause like for a while, I've, I've hesitated about doing co-hosts because, um, well, just in general, like, my first podcast had a co-host. Um, some of you guys have listened to it. It's called Mixed Martial Opinions. Um, and it was the kind of the premise of it was that my friend Andrew is not an MMA fan. And uh, week by week, I would like make him like, you know, in between episodes, I would say like, okay, watch these fights or like, go check this out. We talk about certain aspects of like MMA culture and things like that. And, you know, it was, uh, it was a really fun show, but um, working with the co-host, I just kind of realized that it's a different vibe that I didn't want for my show. So I wanted to do a solo show, but like having Leo on, I just like, dude, like we are so like, we vibe a lot. So I think it's just, it's going to be, it's going to be cool. But also like what I meant to say is that throughout the history of the show, people have been like, you know, what would really take it to the next level is if you had a co-host and I, it's no secret. Like I have a big ego, dude. Sometimes, sometimes I check myself and, you know, obviously people with big egos are very insecure. So that kind of balances it out. But I was like, what, am I not enough for you? <laughs> like, honestly, it's kind of my um, reaction to that, but I think this is the right move. It's the right time. And, uh, I'm hoping that we can, we can kick it off. So, 2021 i'm putting it out there the show is going to come back with a co-host so obviously that's going to come with a like a rebranding essentially because you can't be fighting with myself if there's a fucking co-host like what's that even though <laughs> no we'll talk about that uh when i actually do that inaugural episode but there's gonna be a new name and uh, i don't even know what that name is yet i have an idea what i want but it's got to be you know a collaborative effort so that's that but now for some real news. Not to say that's not real, but as far as like MMA news, um, the only thing that jumped out at me is what I want to talk about. You know, in the news cycle right now, uh, is that the UFC announced that there's going to be a ton of cuts. Um, now this is something that's been on my mind a lot. Like whenever I have, like I've been listening to MMA podcasts consistently when I've been taking a break because uh, you know I love y'all shows and I want to support and stay active. And the questions that I would send them. Most of them were about the cuts. Like, what do you think? What about Yo Romero? What does that mean? Like, who do you want to be cut? What do you think about this? Who should get more push? Like, things like that. And uh, it's it's been heavily on my mind just because um, I'm sad to see people lose their jobs. And and I think part of an exodus for this, uh, or not an ex- that wow, um, that's probably the wrong word. I'm going to say definitely the wrong word. Part of the, like... Um, catalyst for this that kind of started things they they signed a ton of people in the contender series and no disrespect uh to those people but like i think what g calls them is so 
apropos, so she calls them the contender series pups. Like they're pups. They are a lot of times green. And, you know, while that's sometimes good and I'm glad that they're getting a shot, uh, they also, not going to lie, like they're getting honey dicked a little bit because they can, they know that they can, the UFC like sells this dream and they get people to take pay cuts based on like, oh, this is the big show. Like you just kind of were ha happy to be here. And that's what a lot of these people are like to, to be take an undertaking, like to find another human being in the cage. It takes an extreme level of confidence. So you have to have a, a supreme belief in yourself to say that, oh, I can become a big star. I can beat anyone they put in front of me. And so they use that against them. Like the, the psychology of, of matchmaking and, and uh, signing people to the UFC is extremely interesting to me, but it's also kind of sad because you know that they play on that. And so you have these guys that are like, I can make it. They have an exciting, you know, finish in a small cage in the apex. And it's like, wow, let's get this guy in UFC. And then sometimes they get eaten alive and it's sad. And they make him take a, uh, you know, uh, short notice debut. Like they talked about that with Kevin Holland. Kevin Holland was on the contender series and because he had a, according to Dana a big mouth and he was like always talking it wasn't just during the fight like afterward he kept talking to Dana like he he just didn't like that which I thought was kind of bullshit um Dana's low-key racist um let's not you know even dispute that but like they told the story about how he got his debut against uh Chago Santos and uh they they were like let's call the contender series guys and and they li he literally said that they were only calling contender series guys and that uh, they didn't give Kevin Holland a contract, but the ones that they did, um, or maybe they were calling people that didn't get contracts. I'm not sure. But either way, the ones that they called initially all turned it down. And then Kevin goes, let's call Big Mouth. I want to see what he says. Like, bro, you ain't shit. Come on, Dana. Like, that was, that's fucking disgusting. Like, to, to talk to him like that. And he took the final, like, 10 days notice. I remember that from when, um, I'm pretty sure it was when like John Jones was talking about fighting Chago Santos and he uh and he was like, Yeah, I fought Chago Santos on ten days notice. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> like, dude, it is what it is. So I've been thinking about these cuts and it's it sucks because it, if you look at the roster, I'm pretty sure there's about let's just for easy math, let's call it six hundred. That's probably pretty accurate. Maybe even it's less. So give or take, there's six hundred fighters. They announced there's going to be more than, but at least, 60 cuts. That's 10%. That's 10% of your roster. And while it's probably uh, needed from a financial standpoint, it kind of pissed me off. And so at the start of the pandemic, Dana was like, we didn't lay off any employees. Uh, they None of them are going to lose their job. And then when these, fight, when these cuts got announced, people were like, I saw this coming, like, he lied, you know, don't take Dana's word. And I get that, and you shouldn't take Dana's word, but Dana does not think of the fighters as employees. He views them as independent contractors. Even though the way their contracts are set up, the they don't have a lot of rights and, and they don't have a lot of say like employees do. And so, but they use it to their advantage. He does not view them as employees. He What he meant was his staff. And while I don't know for sure, I believe that no UFC staff lost their job. Um, but you're cutting fighters, you're 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 trimming down the, the roster. Um, and it's to make room for these contender series guys, which are like, eh, okay. But, but let's think about the cuts for a second. So they cut Yoel Romero and initially it was met with like shock and awe. Um, and they announced Rachel Ostovich. And honestly, 
that should not have been met with any surprise. Like her UFC record was not one to like write home about. However, and we'll get to this in a second. I'm of the belief that because of like depth, they shouldn't be cutting most of the like women's division fighters, any of the fighters in the women's divisions, because they don't have a lot of fighters. I mean, if you're going to do that and then sign others from like Invicta or the promotions, great. Let's give some of these gals an, an opportunity. But as far as what you have on your roster, you don't have enough. So in that regard, the Rachel Osvish cut was a little bit like weird, but again, completely saw it coming. However, the old one was surprising, but then when you, but then you start to think about it and then it absolutely makes sense. The guy is, I mean, Daniel like went hard in that, um, post fight press conference. Cause he's kind of an asshole. I mean, he is an asshole, but he was like, he's 44 years old and four in his last five or oh, one in four in his last five or something like that. Uh, that's true. Like he got the he got the fight with um with Izzy off of a two loss streak, I believe. And then he stood there like a statue in a title fight. You don't do that. So yeah. Romero is fucking gone. Um but uh, they announced that he is now moving to Bellator and he's gonna fight at 205. Now initially uh, and, and they signed Rumble as well, which is like, they can have him. That's fucking fine. Like, he's a piece of shit. He's a domestic violence uh, offender. Um, they announced that Romero's moving to 205. And Bellator had made a statement that they didn't want Romero because they didn't want to be viewed as uh, like the washout promotion for the UFC. Like, they're just taking all the, the UFC's like sloppy seconds, basically. And that's been the story for a long time. Like, when, Cock- when, <laughs> when Scott Coker... Uh, took over Bellator from Bjorn Rebney. He said that his plan was to like, just sign a bunch of stars as much as they can. Like any free agents, he made a statement like we want, if you're a free agent, we want you. Um, Which basically meant anyone that just got released in the UFC. And so he would sign these guys and it did help build their, their roster and, and help them make them more relevant. But at the same time, it did view them as like the second place and just sort of like, uh, final destination for UFC like washouts, which is unfortunate and sad. And they want to move away from that, which I get. Um, but like for the last like five years, anytime a fighter got cut, they're like, oh, that's fine. They can move over to Bellator. And like that was like the knee jerk reaction. Everyone would say that. And uh, I'm kind of glad that they're moving away from that. But at the same time, Romero makes sense for them. It makes absolute sense. And um, they should be trying to sign this guy, especially at 205. There's a lot of fun fights for him at 205. And I like Romero used to kill himself to make 185. I never understood that. Never understood that. I, yes, he's shorter, but like, come on. And looking at the, the rest of the roster, I don't think the other cuts have been announced, but I'm going to be surprised. Like no one, you're not safe just because you have a ranking next to your name. And it's unclear whether or not these cuts are like if there's any rules to them because to my knowledge the way that the contracts are structured like a lot of people say that they can be cut at any time what i think is the rule is that they can cut you after a loss regardless of how many fights are left in your contract so if you just sign a six fight deal the first fight on that contract you lose they decide they don't want you they can cut you which is really dumb because they don't have the freedom to to fight elsewhere during that contract if the ufc doesn't want to cut them so they're absolutely like employees in that regard. Like an independent contractor can, can take a, a, you know, their job. They can do a contract with someone else at any point, but that's the way UFC contracts are structured. 
and and in general mma contracts like bellator kind of lets people fight elsewhere especially in other sports which i really appreciate uh invicta does that as well uh which is interesting uh, and then you've recently seen like like the pfl like kayla harrison take the fight in invicta i think she was supposed to fight in titan fc but her opponent missed weight which is wild uh apparently the 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 her opponent like couldn't get below 180 what the fuck how big are you I, I, it's baffling to me. Um, but anyway, I didn't mean like in a negative, like body shaming standpoint, I just mean like how, like what, what, how much mass do you have that you couldn't get below 180? Like, that's just in, incredibly insane to me. My cat is not liking this talk about body shaming. He's like, Oh, you're about body positivity. I am. Um, say hi goose. Okay. He's done now. Anyway. Um, so honestly, these cuts are going to be, surprising but that's what i'm expecting so like i'm expecting the unexpected as, as far as these cuts go because what's going to happen is like especially with the with with the romero one which i didn't touch on um part of the reason why they cut him i, I believe he he's a top earner like he earns a lot and so i just think like from an economic standpoint they were like like errol i think made a good point he's a matchmaker's nightmare like he's not deserving of another title shot and i don't believe he can beat izzy um, and, but he's going to beat everyone else. And so he's just going to kill off their prospects and like guys like that, like you, you don't give them easy fights. So, you know, what, what are you going to do? So it just kind of makes sense for him to cut him. And that's, what's going to happen. Like, it's going to be guys like, honestly, I love him to death. Wonder boy is one of my favorite fighters. He's easily in my top 10. Uh, if wonder boy loses his fight, he could be cut for real. Uh, that could happen. So, you know, things like that are going to, are going to happen and, and it's going to be sad. And, uh, it, it honestly might make me hate the UFC for a while because, uh, I hate that these cuts are happening. Like I get it. And, and people lost, uh, you know, stuff during a pandemic, as far as like, we, we've all taken a hit financially, like pretty much globally, but like, thinking about this there there's this article that came out a long time ago where this ceo in seattle made uh headlines for for being i think it was seattle if i'm if i'm not it was somewhere like in the pacific northwest i believe um they were like a tech company and he made uh history by by agreeing that his salary would be the same as his employees which was unreal to me he said that he was like having a smoke break with uh one of the uh, employees and the employee was just like, I don't know if they were in tears or they were upset or they were kind of like angry. They were like, like I'll never make more than you. Like you, you don't, you, you we're not making enough money. And he was like, show me where I'm pay- underpaying you based on the market. Like he kind of had a very CEO answer. And then they were just like, that doesn't matter. Like the way the system is set up, we're not going to be able to earn enough. And he kind of like took that to heart and was like, okay, like until uh, things get better or whatever, until shit gets straightened out, like I'll not take more than 300,000 a year or whatever. I think that was like his, the employee that was under him or something like that. I'm obviously paraphrasing and, and summarizing a lot of this article, but it was a really kind of in-depth look at the like pay structure of a lot of corporations. And honestly, like Dana makes a fucking shit ton of money. Like he had the opportunity to show some compassion and to be the kind of person to, I don't know, get people to like him and say, you know what? We all took a hit. We can't have fans right now. Uh, 
in attendance, which is a big part of like the gate and everything. Um, let me not cut anybody right now. And he didn't. So part of me thinks like a lot of the um, cuts are going to be people that were inactive because there's people that haven't fought at all during uh, quarantine or during, during the pandemic or whatever you want to call it. Um, and then that also didn't fight like well before then as well, just because of like timing and like injuries and things like that. Like Leon Edwards hasn't fought um, in forever. Um, which again, if, if they cut Leon Edwards, I'm on a fucking riot. I'm like, not even a big Leon Edwards fan, but that, that shit, if they do that. Um, but yeah, it's just, there's a, there's a lot that's going on. That's, uh, it's kind of up in the air right now. And I have a feeling that, uh, me and my co-host, whoever that may be, um, are going to have a ton to talk about, uh, in the new year and it's going to be wild. It's going to be wild. So on that note, uh, let's have a proper forum. God damn, hearing that music just gets me so pumped up to do a forum. Uh, I really miss the like two hour long forums I used to do or like an hour and a half to be fair. Um, but uh, let's kick things off right with the homie, Phil the MMA dude. Captain man, it's Phil the MMA dude from the Split Decision Podcast. Here's my question for you this week. So we obviously saw what, in my opinion, was the greatest flyweight fight of all time in Davison Figueredo versus Brandon Moreno. That obviously ended in a very controversial split draw. So my question for you is, what should come next? Do they run it back immediately? Or, as you know, with Dana and the UFC, are they going to insert Cody Garbrandt in there, make Cody versus Figueredo? And then have the uh, winner fight Brandon. I, I think Brandon deserves the shot immediately. I'm just guessing. I think that Dana's going to be tempted to put Cody in there first. What are your thoughts? Let me know. Thanks so much, man. Yeah, dude. And first of all, thank you for the question. You guys got to check out Phil's podcast if you haven't already. The Split Decision Podcast. Um, <laughs> I text Phil about something that happened last episode. It just uh, made me laugh. I almost said it now, but I'm not going to. Uh, anyway, dude. Um, he knows what it is. Uh, thank you for the question. It's an interesting talking point, right? So uh, historically, the UFC has done shit things like this before. Um, not so often. I mean, I feel like with draw uh, title fights, they've run them back immediately. I have to feel like that's true. Um, there's probably instances of when they have done that, uh, done the opposite where they have given it someone else. But like, you know, Woodley Wonder Boy is the is the biggest one that I'm thinking of right now, um, where it was just, um, you know, they ran it back immediately, even though um, they were trying to, you know, Woodley was trying to angle for other fights and he thought he won. It was a whole fucking controversy or whatever. But like for this one, I, I I'm fairly like I'm 99 percent confident they're going to give it to Moreno. And here's why. So like before the Perez fight. uh uh, Figgy was supposed to fight Cody Garbrandt. And while he wasn't necessarily deserving, like he just had one good one at 135 and they're like, you know, you've never fought a flyweight. Here's a title fight. Like, okay, he's a former champion. Like he's a star. He's a name. I get it. Like I'm not, like it doesn't really, it's not the best one they give me, but I get it, right? Um, so at that point, Figgy kind of needed that name to like put him over. 
now, in my opinion, with taking the with finishing the Perez fight in such brutal fashion, just saying like I'm not you know going home uh, unless you get you pay me, give him the fucking suitcase full of cash. The guy's a style icon, bro. He walks in like he's just like the drip never takes a back seat with this dude. So it might mean like he's the A side now. Now it's like Figgy versus whoever. That's a big fight. You know what I mean? So let's let's bring it back to like the fucking the sport of it. Like we need, and I'm I'm the entertainment guy. Like I'm not ever gonna be like this is a sport. Like I'm not gonna hold on to like some fucking uh, I don't know hierarchy of whatever. But we need we need this fight. We need Moreno to 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 fight uh, Figueiredo. First of all. I'm gonna say it right now, and this this is gonna maybe be controversial, maybe upset some people, but I'm not just saying it to be a contrarian. I think Moreno beats him in the rematch. How about that? But like I said, for for the division's sake, like it doesn't matter. Figgy is a star. Like put him in there against anybody, it sells. So why not make it the most deserving, uh, you know, contender? And that is the guy who just took you to your limit, and in some people's eyes, won the fight. Uh, and it, and it was a draw. So that's it, dude. That that's the fight to make. If they, honestly, if if they put Figueroa versus Cody Garbrandt, I'm not gonna watch it. I'll watch the card. I'll watch the the rest of it. But I'm turning it off for for that fight. I just I'm I, I can't support that. It's fucking terrible. To do my guy Moreno like that, terrible. So thank you, Phil. Thank you for your question. Um, next up, we got a question from my boy Milliken. Hey, Juice is MMA by Milliken. I just wanted to say thank you so much for your support. Uh, you know, it's always great to see you on the timeline. You know, and it's like certain people who are just, they don't know, but I'm telling you now, you are, it's good to see you. <laughs> it's good to see you. It's good to see so many other individuals on MMA Twitter. You guys, you know, some of us could, you know, disappear and, and nobody will care. But some of the other ones, it's like you're very important to the timeline more than you know. Um, thank you for being always opinionated and being yourself. Take care. Stay safe. Dude, that really means a lot to me. Like hearing that uh, message when he sent it um, a few days ago, really warmed my heart. And uh, big shout to Milligan. Thank you so much for, for all that you've contributed to my show over the past years and, and to what your show has, has become. I know you took a break and honestly... I support things like that because, like I said, I just took a break myself and I've done it in the past. Like you, you get burnt out and you got to get that fire again. So um, I'm looking forward to when you get the fire and, and you and you come back. Uh, but uh, in the meantime, I do appreciate the support as well uh, from from you. Uh, <laughs> I'm remembering the last message that Milliken sent, I think, before this, or one of them anyway. He was like, I'm offering grief counseling for Paulo Costa fans. <laughs> Ah, dude, that was legendary. That was legendary. So yeah, thank you so much, Milligan. Guys, we'll give him a follow and check out his new account. Uh, I want to give it a proper shout out because uh, I think it's interesting, uh, or I th- I'm, I'm very much in support of people doing this. Um, Milligan was was telling me that you know certain people, certain people that are kind of flexing their artistic. Yeah, that's what I thought. I can drop it. He was saying flexing artistic nature. He wants to kind of showcase his, which he hasn't really previously. And so he started an account called I Can Draw People. So I just looked that up. It's a profile picture that um, it's interesting. It could be him, but because of the lighting, it's like it's a kind of like a 
it looks like kind of grainy. It looks like it could be John Jones as well. Which is which is probably a, a cool thing to be thought of as maybe being John Jones. Anyway, big shout out to Milliken. Much respect. Uh, I'm about to RT this uh, last post here. That was a uh, Deadpool art, even though it's not his. I love it. Uh, anyway, thank you so much, Milliken. Next question we got, the homie MMA Catfish. Hey, Juicy Baby, it's MMA Catfish. Oh, I miss you in my ear holes. I know I'm the king of cuts, and Dana White is threatening to make cuts because of a bloated roster when we all really know it's because he doesn't want to pay fighters good money and instead would rather sign five fighters a week from his bullshit Dana White contender series. Not that we don't get the few fighters out of that that are actually worth watching, but for the most part, they're just warm bodies that don't cost much. That being said, I do think there are a number of fighters who are past their prime, older, maybe still have it in them to fight, but should not be fighting in the top 15 of the UFC because they're fighting people who are younger and at their prime, and therefore they're taking a lot of damage. So, to be honest, I think we should support them being cut and be allowed to fight elsewhere. Thoughts? That's an interesting take on it because if you think about it, um, or if, if you don't know, um, basically any time that uh, Seth would send in a voice uh, question to my show, Someone would have a bad loss and they're like, this guy needs to be cut. They would just always say that, dude. And so I'm surprised. Like, you guys got to check out his podcast, uh, Catfishing with the Tat Daddy. Um, it's, you know, it's so funny. Quick diatribe about that. Um, our mutual friend, MMA Breck, had um, uh, tagged uh, myself, actually my other show, The Breaking the Fourth Wall, and... Um, MMA catfish as a like podcast to listen to from this post that someone made. There was like, oh, um, any podcast recommendations? I don't want podcasts that just talk about COVID and politics. And that's like 90% of what uh, Seth has been talking about on his show. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> oh, that's so funny to me. But anyway, um, yeah, uh, definitely check it out. I very much enjoy his rants. Because they'll just go on there and be like, shut the fuck up, these fucking people vote for Trump, you fuck Trump, you piece of shit. It's the best. Um, but yeah, going back to this, I'm surprised he hasn't done uh, yet an episode on his podcast where he just be like, okay, here's the names that I want to see cut. And just literally give us 60 names of like who should be cut. Like take a look at the whole roster and just fucking like do his own cuts. But that's an interesting take, like I said, because while... It's devastating, probably, because every fighter wants to be with the UFC. However, if they cut people that have a name and that are still in their prime, the opportunity to fight elsewhere could be a blessing in disguise for them. It could be somewhat be a, a silver lining of, a, of an otherwise dark cloud. But here's the flip side of that, right? If you look at what is going on in the world right now, uh, even though I'm very critical of the UFC in general, uh, or at least I try and be critical when it is apropos, they're the, one of the only pr promotions that are actually consistently putting on events. Bellator's gotten somewhat into a rhythm. Um, obviously, one FC or one championship has has gotten kind of back into it, but 
the way uh, those other organizations are set up, it's like, you know, it, it definitely benefits fighters to, to be fighting for the UFC right now just because of what's going on in the world. So in that regard, it, it is a little kind of like uh, disheartening. I'm not going to lie. You know, I'm going to be sad for a lot of these fighters that get cut. I'm telling you right now, if they cut my girl Meatball Molly, if they cut Roxy, I'm going to mail Dana White a bag of my shit, dude. That is not okay. That is not okay. But anyway, I shouldn't even be putting those vibes in the universe, dude. Like, Roxy's safe. She's a legend. She's safe. Fuck anyone else. Um, But yeah. Much respect to you, Seth. And he has uh, another question. And Juicy Baby, I was just going to send one message. But I've got to say, after this last experience with Slow SP, how can you possibly say that I am not correct? He couldn't make weight. It was an absolute shit performance against a fighter that was, what, 6-0? and Come on, man. It makes no sense. The dude does not belong in the UFC, and he needs cut. For his own good, if nothing else. Love you, FMP. Love you too, bro. And it's always FMP. Which actually, before I get into the OSP bit, I didn't even think about that. Mike Perry should 100% be cut in the UFC. He's a fucking clown. He's an absolute shit show of a human being. And he does not deserve to be fighting in the UFC right now. He's a piece of shit. Um... If you are hearing a weird noise right now, it's because they're plowing my apartment complex. And I can't get around it. I'm not going to pause and wait for these people to be done. So it's just going to have to be part of the episode. Um, Because it's snowing, baby. We're in the fucking East Coast with a snowstorm. Which is why, well, not why I moved here, but it was like one of the things where I was like, oh, maybe I'll get to experience snow. Because I've never experienced that. I haven't grown up in Vegas and California. Um... But here's the thing, OSP, if if he gets cut, like I'm not a betting man, but if I were to, if you show me odds on it, I would I would imagine that him being cut is like plus five hundred or something. Oh wait, is that the underdog? I forget. No, yeah, it'd be like minus a thousand, minus a thousand. He probably sh- is going to get cut. However, I'm not necessarily advocating for that. Uh, you're right. The performance last time was shit. The the way missing is like it's not you know good and he's not looking like in his prime anymore. Um, but the other side of the coin is this: what weight they fight at matters. And the UFC's two hundred five pound division for a long time was considered like the glamour division of the UFC. Like you had Randy Couture, Chuck Liddell, Rampage, fucking Rashad Evans, Shogun, Forrest Griffin. I mean Anderson did a couple fights up there. Like it was the fucking market division of the UFC for a long time. But now, and, and for the last probably 10 years, it's weak as fuck. It is, it is shallow. So, especially with guys like John Volante going up to heavyweight and uh, off the top of my head, I, I can't remember, I think there's other 205ers that have recently moved up to heavyweight. It's getting more shallow by the minute. So, numerically, they might not have a choice, but they, I mean, they do have a choice. There are other 205ers they could sign. Um, but 
Um, I don't see a lot of 205ers from the contender series getting signed. Like There just aren't a lot of light heavyweights right now. So if they keep him, I'm not going to be surprised either just because of what I just said. Um, so, um, yeah, I guess uh, to be honest with you, like, I, feel, I feel dirty talking about these cuts. I really do. Like I, I don't want to advocate for anyone's job being taken away. But uh, like you said, there could be a silver lining. Uh, however, I don't know. I will say this it must be nice to not have to deal with USADA. Like, I, I mean, what I mean by that is that's certainly a silver line that could be taken. If someone gets cut from the UFC to deal with a USADA with USADA during a pandemic probably is annoying as shit. And honestly, I wouldn't want some stranger coming into my home. Like, yeah, you're wearing a mask. I would assume, but, um, I don't know. It's just so fucking the whole process. Like I just had to get my blood drawn for, um, some testing that I'm doing. And, uh, thankfully they were wearing a mask. I was wearing a mask obviously, but it's like the whole situation is like not very like confidence ensuing. I don't know. Inspiring. It doesn't inspire confidence. You know, it's all very whatever. I feel like this is like a down note. So I'm, I'm glad that the next question, um, by the homie Yugi is going to uplift me. So let's play that right now. But thank you for your question, Seth. Much love and go check out his show, Catfishing with the Tat Daddy. Bro, juicy, juice, juice. What's up, buddy? It's your boy, Yugi. Faithful listener, friend extraordinaire. Uh, I wish I had some real MMA shit to talk to you about, but I don't. I just think that the other night was like a flawless moment in like MMA history. And it got me to thinking like about flawless moments, but not in MMA history. In our history, and I don't mean like our like past, you know, what I mean, just like our lives, your life, my life. What it leads me up to my question. What is one moment in your life? It doesn't have to be significant or anything, but just one moment in your life that was flawless. I have a bunch. And if you want me to share, I will. But I'd rather hear yours, buddy. Let me know. Let me know. Let me know. Big fan, I'm running out of time, I'm running out of time. Ah! Dude, how can you not love that guy? Absolutely love Yugi. Shout out to him and check out his podcast, iPoke uh, Podcast, maybe iPoke MMA. Um, big fan of that show. And uh, I'll say now I do want to hear yours, but um, I also am you know, very much anticipating the return of your show, so maybe save it for the show. But absolutely... Um, I would love to hear yours because because she has some of the best stories. Like I remember him t- telling a story one time about um, his friend that they had who was like in a wheelchair, but they brought him up to this party and it was like in the mountains. Like I remember this story. Like uh, I, I couldn't like recap and tell the story with you, but it was about like they were at a party with these like women and stuff like that. It was a really fucking good story. And then he had another one about three. So I'm like, Yugi has the best stories. Um, T Cross has some good stories too. Actually, you guys should check out my boy T Cross's podcast, Tea Time with T Cross. Um, but anyway. Uh, I want to talk about your question. <laughs> Get back to your question about flawless moments in my life. To be honest with you, I don't have a ton. Uh, and maybe that's just because I'm uh, a pessimist by nature. Like I tend to harp on the negative things and I'm working on that. Like I'm in therapy. I'm looking like, uh, you know, learning to kind of f- focus on the positives in my life because I do have a lot of positives. And I do think about that a lot. Um, but I did have one flawless moment. Well, not one, but I'm thinking of one right now that I want to tell. And Yugi's heard this story. Uh, well, he hasn't heard it. He, I, I've told it. We have. A, I'm in a group chat with him, 
Uh, and it's one of my favorite ones. I have like a few that are, I mean, I'm only in a couple because I generally don't like group chats, but I've historically been in some that have made me deactivate my account and I've left Twitter because of them and they fucking just are toxic as fuck. But the ones that I'm in now, so if you're in a group chat with me now, just know that it's a good one. So I don't want to say like one's better than the other, but like, you know, if you're in a group chat with me, like you're the shit. Um, anyway, the day that I proposed to my wife, so <laughs> we left LA and, uh, the reason we left was because, uh, I had just beaten cancer the first time and I needed to change a pace. I was kind of running from my problems, but I was like, I, I want to live on the East coast. I want to live with your family. Uh, I want to get back into doing theater and I need to be near New York. That's where I need to be. And like, this is the move. And I convinced her and we made the move. And that week, um, I should say there's actually, it kind of leads me to another one that I'll tell after this. So, so that week that we spent driving cross country was one of the best weeks of my life. So, um, we took the scenic route and when you drive the route that we did, there is a lot of like, it's not really the scenic route because it's a lot of the same fucking flat land, like highway hypnosis is real. Like you just, you look out and it's just the fucking same shit, like go roam through certain parts of Arizona and Texas and Oklahoma. It was just boring. No offense to any of y'all if you live in the States. Um, and obviously I, I'm saying specifically, I was just driving on the interstate, like some of the boring parts. I'm sure there's plenty of exciting shit in your state. Um, and actually New Mexico was part of the worst. That was only, that was the only like leg of the trip where, um, I asked Kate to drive, uh, and even she was like kind of falling asleep right before we got to the hotel. Um, but we drove, we, we set out in LA, we stopped in Vegas to see my mom and, uh, had an amazing breakfast at this place called Ellie's. I want to say it's called, is it called Ellie's? I'm pretty sure it's like, like on Tropicana. Amazing, amazing breakfast place. Um, I think they have other stuff, but their fucking breakfast food is amazing. Um, but we, we went there actually, um, my buddy Leo and his girl, Kayla, um, we went and saw UFC 213 together, International Fight Week. So there's a lot of like people from MMA Twitter that go to fight International Fight Week. So I just think it's cool. Like I didn't know you guys at that point, but I was there at UFC 213. So if you were there, we may have like seen each other and not known it. Um, okay. So we went to this place, amazing breakfast, took my mom there. She loved it. Um, and I, we set off to Utah to see my dad. So, so my dad um very emotional goodbye we actually met up in arizona with some friends from la who left the same day we did and we kind of didn't know until we were talking like online or saw them post we're like you're fucking where let's meet up let's meet in arizona so we met up with some friends from la in arizona uh and then from there it was kind of like the next few days were a little um lackluster i would say or like the next day i guess because that's when we just sort of drove for a while we drove through uh new mexico and we stopped in new mexico uh at this place that like really we got in late uh like i want to say we got in like midnight or something and then we left like at eight in the morning whatever so we really just like slept there um and then we saw in, in texas now when we were driving through texas we hit this like storm where it was raining really hard and we literally had to stop at Home Depot to get a tarp to put over our fucking, uh, like we had a roof box, but it was, it was one that we had, we hadn't even planned on getting. 
we literally like jam packed our car. It was crazy. That's another story. But um, we I had to get a tarp, and it was this whole fucking crazy thing. We stopped in St. Louis, well near St. Louis. We stopped in Missouri and St. Charles um, to see a good friends of ours um, who do a podcast called Movies and Contemplation. Jarak and Kelly, you should go check them out. They're amazing. Um, I officiated their wedding. Uh, they actually talked about. Well, yeah, I don't know if they. No, they kind of did actually. But anyway. Um, they uh they just did um the movie Father of the Bride on their show so they talked about their engagement and stuff it was very cute I love it um so so we we stopped and uh, and saw them for a while and it was there that I told um Jarak that I was gonna marry that I was gonna propose at the end of the trip and I had kind of been telling people along the way um, and I told some of my family um but I told uh Jarak and he was like so happy and then we saw Callie on our way out she they worked at a casino at the time and uh uh I when we left I texted her I was like ask your husband what news I have because like I didn't get to tell her like it was just her and um Kate for for the most part and I was like ask your husband what news I have and then so she knew um from there we realized like Nashville is only about five hours away and that's where my sister lives I was like oh my god we have to see my sister we stayed at her place to meet her man um he's amazing um they actually got married like a month before us and uh because we were like in the thick of wedding preparations and couldn't get off of work they were they got married in california we couldn't make their wedding i was so sad because i really wanted to be there um but anyway we're in nashville and uh had an amazing time in nashville um i honestly wouldn't mind living there it's a great city and then from there, it was like a fucking like 12-hour drive up to Pennsylvania to see my good friends, Tom and Bree. And we stayed at a hotel there, told Tom. He was fucking really excited. Told Bree. She was really excited. The day that we left Pennsylvania, so this is going back years, okay? So a couple things are at play here. Uh <laughs> My wife told me um, when we had just been dating, she was like, if you ever propose to me, you got to make sure that I'm uh, dressed well. Um, like, I want to remember the moment. I want it to be like, you know, social media, postable, whatever. Like, make sure that I look good. You have to make sure. And so we're leaving. I just remembered that because I hadn't thought of it before. And we're, we're packing up. But I was like, do you want to... Did you bring like a nice shirt or something? Like it was so, so awkward with it. And she was like, why? We're just going to see my family. Cause like from there, New Jersey was the last destination. She's like, why? I don't need that. And I was like, okay, wear whatever you want. Mama, it's fine. You know, whatever. And in my head, I'm freaking out. Now, the other thing I was freaking out about is that she also told me like early on in a relationship, it's like, if you ever propose, you have to get the blessing of my family. Now, um, it's like a, like sort of like you know, old traditional thing to like get the blessing of the father, like whatever. Um, uh, so, uh, but I had to ask her mom and her grandfather, but then she also was like, no, no, my siblings too. Um, Cause she has triplet siblings that she helped raise basically. Cause she was like 15, 16 when they were born. So they're like her kids as well. She's like, you have to get their blessing. And so I got all of their uh, blessing before we left town and the mom was the first one I asked, and then I got all their blessing before we even left LA. And but I could never get a hold of the grandfather. I had his number and I kept calling. He like doesn't have his phone with him ever. I kept calling, I kept calling. When we were leaving Pennsylvania, um, I text her mom. I was like, I'm freaking out. I haven't heard from 
from your from your father. I haven't heard from him. I need you to help me. And she was like, okay, I asked him. He's down. Like, that's it. Just go. And then uh, backstory is that because of that nature that she said I had to get the family's blessing, I wanted to make sure that in my proposal she knew. So I had to get the family involved. So I asked, when I asked the mom, I asked her first because I was like, I need your help. I want to, when we arrive, I want to, uh, I want you guys to be holding signs that say like each, each a different word of the sentence, will you marry me? Like one says, will, one says you, and they all were on board. Okay. And I asked, um, if, if she could make the signs, um, because obviously I can't make them. Like I wanted to be when we first arrived there. So when we pull in, they're holding up the signs and like, it's just, I can, at that moment, I was like, this is a flawless moment. That's what I thought of when you, when you asked your question. And it was also flawless because on the way, um, something happened between someone in my family that I'm not going to talk about, but it almost could have ruined the moment. But I was like, you know what? I'm not going to let that ruin it. Uh, this is going to be a perfect day. And the last like probably 15 minutes of the drive you know how it is on a road trip, like a long road trip. I had to pee so badly and I was just like, so also nervous and like making sure, um, we were on our way. I was like, text your mom. She was like, why we can just show up. It doesn't matter. And I was like, no, no, they, they need to know, like text your mom. We don't want to just walk in on them. Right. Like, <laughs> I mean, so like, I, I don't know how to like do it, but I was also like, she thought I was, something was wrong because of, I was so like, I had to go to the bathroom and I was like, come on, come on, come on. And I was also nervous. Um, but then we pull up in the driveway and they're all there. And like some of her like siblings uh, are like not all, like the sappy type, but they like had these like big smiles on their faces. And like the grandpa was there and he gave me a hug and he was like, I can't think of a better like man for her. And oh my God, it was just a perfect, perfect moment. And it, it was a perfect moment to start our like journey in uh, like living there because it was just, it was so like, it's such a, like a togetherness moment. And then that night it was, uh, I believe October 6th, which is actually my mom's birthday. Um, and that was the night of UFC 216, I believe the one where Tony won the interim title against Kevin Lee and DJ pull off that insane, uh, calls it the mighty whiz bar against Ray Borg. So I'm like watching this pay-per-view going like, this is a fucking great night of fights. This is a great night with, uh, my new family. Everything is perfect. So that, Yugi is my flawless moment. Um, thank you so much for that question. And yes, I do want to hear yours. Uh, I absolutely want to hear uh, your flawless moments because I know you have a ton of them. And he's got one more question, actually. This is this is actually really funny. Juice, guess what? I do have a question. I have a real good one, buddy. I was sitting here thinking about it. Uh, Dern the other night showed some massive improvements in her game. I wonder if you agree. She has some looping shots. She looked sloppy, but she didn't look as sloppy as she normally looks. Don't you slander my queen. Don't you do it. Don't you do it. What do you think, buddy? Dude, this made me laugh for two reasons. One, because of that, don't you slander my queen. Don't you do it. And then the fucking title. So I've talked in a lot in the past about how you can um, make a name for the message that you send. Like I didn't go over the other ones, but like um, Seth was like cuts, okay. <laughs> like that was funny. Yuki goes, I didn't label the last one because weed. 
Because <laughs> it didn't. The first one was just blank. It didn't have a name. And this one says, another one. Didn't label the last one because weed. <laughs> so, uh, respect for that. Um, and yo, here's the thing. I believe she showed some improvements on the feet, but the main thing is she showed enough improvements on the feet because what I mean by that is this, um, obviously she, um, she lost somewhat badly to Amanda Hibas, um, cause, uh, Amanda's striking and her takedown defense are like light years ahead of, of Dern and, and the fact that she had enough jujitsu to avoid, um, during submissions, but, uh, besides Amanda, the only person I thought could hang uh, with Mackenzie Dern in the in the jiu-jitsu was Virna. So the fact that she already got past her, like I honestly think Dern could make a run here. Um, and I'm not saying that she's like amazing or like she's a future champion necessarily because, you know, like Rose, in my opinion, could like fucking dismantle her. Wei Li, dismantle her. Like the upper echelon of that strawweight division, even like Tatiana Suarez probably just mailed her as well. Like, but as far as just the jujitsu, no one else can touch her in that department. So they could realistically give her matches or matchups to where you have someone who doesn't have great striking. Like even so like, okay, she fights a man, uh, Angela Hill, Angela Hill could light her up on the feet, dude. Um, but it's possible that, um, Dern could like walk her down and just grab a hold of her and choke her out. I mean, that's happened in plenty of Angela Hill fights, right? So, uh, you know, it's it's interesting to think about where she's going to go from here. Um, I think she's probably in the right camp for her, uh, just because of what what improvements we did see. But I think she has to work on her stand up heavily. Now, she she can't make the mistake that a lot of um, grapplers do. Uh, someone made a great meme recently that was like uh, a wrestler when they get one knockout, and it was like the meme of like Andy throwing out his woody toy and like i don't want to play with you anymore like about the wrestling which is so fucking true like anytime a wrestler gets a knockout they're like i'm a striker now uh and they fall in love with that like big right hand or whatever and they lose the wrestling like dern should absolutely work on her striking but she should stick to what got her to the dance which is the jiu-jitsu she needs to work on striking to get to the grappling like chelsea told an interesting story one time about uh, training with GSP one time. Uh, they've trained a, a couple of times, but he said one time that it was like in a Bellator event um, and uh, GSP was like, let's work on our wrestling. And Chael would just like take him down every time. And he, he would be like, that was good, but I saw it coming. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, but he still took you down. And then he was like, let's set it up with our striking. Like that's not actually, you know, like they didn't have mouthpieces or whatever. I think, and they're like, let's let's not actually strike, but let's let's faint into the takedowns or whatever. And then with that, he was able to stop more takedowns. I think that's how the story goes, or something like that. But it, in general, she needs to do more of that kind of training where she she trains striking as an entry to the grappling. Uh, again, I'm just a schmuck with a podcast, right? Like I'm like one of the oh, you don't train, bro, but like. From from an analyst standpoint that has watched a hundreds and hundreds and thousands of fights at this point, um, that's what she needs to be doing. She needs to focus on her jujitsu, but improve the striking enough to not get fucking pieced up by these elite strikers of that division. So, um, thank you for that question, Yugi, because uh, I wanted to mention that about the Dern fight. Uh, and yeah, that's uh, that concludes the forum. So this maybe the last forum of of well it's certainly probably going to be the last form of the year 
But um, I think the the show is going to look differently when we return. So it's possible this could be the last form. So I just want to say thank you to everyone who's ever sent in a question, uh, you know, voice or otherwise. But I want to do just audio questions for this episode. But really, thank you for everyone who's ever participated. And you mean the world to me. So with that said, let's look ahead to next week. We've got an amazing card. All right. Next week is the final UFC card of the year it's going down on next Saturday December 19th um I don't know how to feel about this one um I'm gonna mix some of the prelims I actually got called into work which is kind of upsetting to me um because it starts starts early I was I was just looking at the time I was like oh I should probably be able to make them I'm fucking working until five and the prelims start at four so anyway um I'm going to cover most of these fights, actually. I was going to just do like a few prelim highlights, but then I was going through it and I was like, oh, I actually like most of these fights. The only one I'm not going to cover is uh, Tiffon Chukwi versus Jamie Pickett, although Tiffon is Team Lloyd Irvin and we are Team Not Lloyd Irvin at the Fighting With Myself podcast. So go, Jamie. Anyway, um, other than that, the opening fight on, on the card is um, Rick Glenn versus Carlton Minus. Um, Rick Glenn has had an interesting um, last couple of years. I say that because, like I said, he beat the fuck out of Gavin Tucker. Like, it was a mauling. It was a really bad showing for the UFC. Um, just for, for the simple fact that that ref should have stopped the fight. And it was just bad optics for anyone that doesn't hasn't seen kind of beatdowns like that. It was just bad. Like, Gavin Tucker was tired. And he was just getting lit up. And he was just eating a bunch of unanswered shots. Oh, my God. It was so bad. But Rick has been out for two years. Um, he uh, last fought, I think, November 30th, 2018. And um, this is his return. Uh, he's fighting Carlton Minus. Carlton had uh, an interesting UFC debut. He lost, uh, but I don't think he looked terrible. Um, it was just kind of an interesting fight. Matthew Slisberger, I think. Probably butchering that anyway. Um, but yeah. Rick Glenn, uh, I think, probably is going to style on this guy. But I don't know. Carlton is tough. So who knows? Who knows? I mean, it's such a wild card because Rick Glenn has been out for so long. So you don't even know how he's going to look. Very much looking forward to it, though. It's a lightweight. So I don't know. Maybe that's why he's been out um, for a while. Because uh, uh, his last fight has been a featherweight, if I'm not mistaken. That was a Kevin Tucker's a featherweight. Um Moving on from that, we got Eamon Zahabi taking on uh, Draco Rodriguez. I don't know much about Draco. Uh, in fact, I do believe he's making his UFC debut. Um, but uh, Eamon Zahabi is very exciting to me. Not only is uh, obviously he's Faraz Zahabi's little brother, um, he always comes to, to fight. Like he comes to, to knock your head off or submit you. And uh, the last time I really saw him fight that I can remember is he got, uh, was on the receiving end of a really bad knockout from Ricardo Hamos, uh, which was uh, at UFC 217. I was live for that, and it was nasty, dude. Like, he he wasn't up for a while. Like, it was just a really bad knockout. So, I didn't even check to see if he's fought since. Like, I, I, I think he probably has, but that's, like, the last time I remember. And it's, just, it's hard to get that out of my brain. So, um, I'm really hoping he... Uh, shows up in this fight because especially like if, if he's on the chopping block um for these cuts i would hate to see that dude he's like in my opinion like mma royalty when you're a son of like a prolific coach like that or sorry the brother like those family ties are really important like frost hobby is one of the best coaches in the game and um 
I'm glad to see his his brother in the UFC. So that's awesome to me. Now, Duran Wynn uh, is taking on Antonio Ahoyo. And I did confirm that pronunciation with Fernando Prachas, as I mentioned at the top of the show. Um, if you guys haven't checked out Fernando's uh, podcast, absolutely check it out. Like, don't even think about it. Even stop my podcast. I don't care. Hers way better than mine. Best Camp of My Life um, is the new one. It used to be called Well Actually. And I love the show. It has a cute little tagline. Um, well, actually, it was like, Welcome to Well Actually, a show about MMA and other stuff. But Best Camp of My Life, she's like, Welcome to the Best Camp of My Life, a show about MMA. Kind of. But not really. But kind of. It's so... I love it. Um, anyway, she just did an episode with uh, Shaheen Al-Shadi. And uh, I've said before, and I told Fernanda when she was on my show, like she's my favorite writer in MMA. I absolutely love like every bit of her work. Um but um, when she was on the, the athletic, like that was like the fucking heavy hitters of the business, in my opinion. Like Chuck Mendenhall, Ben Folks, Chad Dennis, Sean Oshadi. Like that was a fucking team, dude. Like Shaheen Oshadi, his long form stuff, like best in MMA is long form. Like he just the, the stuff he does is just unreal. So I fucking love it. And you get a great insight into those uh, on that episode. Um, and it was just a very sweet ending. Like It was just a very wholesome episode. I loved I loved every bit of it. And I listened to it while I was driving home from the snowstorm yesterday. It was a massive snowstorm that we had. I was going literally like 20 miles an hour the whole ride because the roads weren't properly plowed. And people were like spinning out in front of me. So I had to be really careful. And they kept me company. It was very nice. Anyway, this is uh, interesting to me for a couple of reasons. So Antonio hasn't had like the best UFC career. He's, I think he's like one and one or something like that, or maybe one and two, two and one. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, he was part of that fight, I believe, where they um, there was like a lot of controversy. I remember in that episode, like a lot of people were asking me questions about his fight, as far as like I think it was like whether or not a point should have been deducted or. Or I think it was like the use of replays. Something controversial happened. Where I was like, oh, they, they need to fix that. The, 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 it was wacky, dude. Um, but this is a catchweight of 195 because he's taking on Duran Wynn. Duran Wynn, uh, his fights outside of the UFC were at 205. Okay, like he, by his own words, is a thick boy. And I'm saying that because like he, like I said, that's his words. Um, he's like 5'6", but he is built like a, like a boulder. Like he is very very thick and um because of that like he had a hard time making 185 even though he's literally like there are bantamweights that are taller than five six like i understand like body composition is different but like he's just a muscular thick guy and um so i i like to see him move up because he was undefeated at 205 initially i'm not saying he can hang with the ufc's 205 because that's you know, you're talking about different uh, different breed of athlete usually, but well, a I, I want them to make a 195 pound division because I think the the gap between 185 and 205 is just too big, um, and I just like catchweight fights in general because it just it's healthier. You know what I mean? So very much looking forward to this fight. I hope Duran gets back on the winning track, um, though. You know, Antonio has got a fair amount of submissions on his record, and if Duran tries to wrestle him, that could fall right into a guillotine or something. So, who knows? This is a very interesting fight, in my opinion. Next, we got Sijara Eubanks taking on Penny Kianzad at 135 in the women's division. And I said on, on the record, I'm not a Sijara fan. I'm coming around, but I'm just, you know, her last fight was amazing. However, she beat my queen. Um, 
Julia Avila. I absolutely love Julia Avila. I'm a really big fan of her. And that really made me sad. Like, she was just, oh, it was a really sad uh, fight to watch. But Sajara showed up, so I have to give her all the credit in the world. She also came out to um, uh, WAP, <laughs> was her fucking walkout song. And uh, let me just tell you, that gets points in my book. You guys know I use that on the podcast. Um, probably my crowning achievement, to be honest with you. So I'm looking forward to this. Um, Sajara should be Panny, but uh, Panny is Panny's a scrapper. Um, yeah, I, I hate to use MMA math. Like I think uh, Julia absolutely wipes the floor with Panny Kianzad. Um, so if Panny actually beats Sajara, I'll, I'll, I'll be sad because then it'll be like, you know, she kind of I don't know. That's probably a dumb analysis on my part. Kind of my brand actually. But uh, closing out the prelims, we have Anthony Pettis taking on Alex Morono. Now, I'm interested in this fight because of a couple of reasons, dude. So I just, like, right before recording, or like a couple of hours before recording while I was doing my notes, um, I listened to Anthony Pettis' interview with Ariel Hawani that he did this past week. Uh, I think it dropped yesterday on the podcast, on, the, on his podcast feed. He started working with a sports psychologist, and I learned from the interview the UFC employs a sports psychologist that's available to any of the fighters. Why aren't they all taking advantage of it? Obviously, it would spread the guy too thin. They would maybe have to like expand that, and maybe they, I, I don't know. But bro, like, it's there. That is so beneficial. Him talking about like his mental health in that episode and how he never really dealt with. Uh, some of the things that's going on and, and how, you know, some of the takedowns, like whatever he would get taken down in his previous fights, like it would kind of like be traumatic. He would just remember to those other times and he'd be like, well, I'm going to lose now. And he would just kind of give up, which you saw in the fights, to be honest. And um, I just think he's in like a really good headspace. Now, it's worth saying that uh, Alex Morono is a fucking killer and uh, Pettis is like kind of on the decline as far as his like athletic prime is concerned. And, you know, I, I would be remiss if I if I if I said that Pettis was going to like make this huge comeback or something like that but however I I, I do think we're going to see a different Pettis um either way like it's kind of a win-win for me as far as this goes because like I am a Pettis fan I do like him um but it, he's not one of those fighters where I'm just like really sad if they lose like I don't know maybe I just I started watching MMA when he like right when he kind of lost the belt so like I, I've seen the Pettis decline era, I guess. Um, and Alex Morono is a very good fighter. So um, he's not currently ranked, and this would give him a chance to enter the rankings. And so if he does, um, that would be that would be cool. You know, it would be like kind of the new breed. A little, a little bit of passing of the torch fight. That's going to be Pettis' next, like, number of fights are all going to be like passing of the torch fights. But that, that calls out the prelims, and then the main card opens up with um, Marcin Tibura, and he's facing, oh, it says here, human trash bag. So that's going to be interesting. Uh, no, obviously you guys know who he's fighting. He's fighting Greg Hardy with the, the fucking piece of shit that he is a walking disaster. Um, it's always fuck Greg Hardy in this podcast. If I hear anything positive about Greg Hardy, I'm going to fucking lose my mind. Um like I listen to some podcasts and they're like, well, he, he showed athleticism. And I'm like, dude, you ain't shit. Like he's a fucking piece of shit. This guy should not be in the UFC. I hope he gets cut, to be honest with you. I hope Marcin Tibura knocks him the fuck out. I mean, it's it's one of those things, right? Like like whoever he's fighting, like we got to put, put our chips behind. Like I don't care. Like if you want to like look at it from – like here's the thing. If you bet on fights, like a lot of people – 
like listen to my podcast they're also betters and they have to like take the emotions out of it and like okay like if you whatever like honestly i would not want to financially benefit off great cards so that's one thing number one but like number two like if you, if you look at that and you say like Martian Tabir is not the guy I, I'm not going to disagree with you but at the same time he needs our support right now <laughs> like let's go fucking get this W Marcin like do it for fucking do it for your country do it for our country do it for me I don't know do it for women everywhere fuck Greg Hardy and now moving on we have um, Jillian Robertson versus Tyla Santos now Tyla just um broke my heart and beat uh, Meatball Molly. And uh, Jillian also broke my heart when she beat Meatball Molly in Molly's debut. So I'm really hoping for a double KO here. No, I really like Jillian. I just um, <laughs> I just thought that was funny that they're kind of both like people that have beat Molly in the UFC. And I was like, ah, fuck, that stings. You know what I mean? Uh, you guys know how much I love Meatball. Um, she tweeted me the other day she was like i love you and i put it on my fleets i was like oh i love this i'm gonna frame this i got such like a fucking little boy um anyway dude uh i hope jillian robertson chokes her out i really do uh but that said talia santos fucking was like really sharp with her kickboxing and muay thai in her fight with molly so i would not be surprised if she lights jillian the fuck up that fight is gonna be uh, insane Another insane fight is uh, Marlon Moraes versus Rob Font. Whenever Rhino talks about Rob Font, he goes, Rob Font? Sounding like Peter from Family Guy. <laughs> uh, bro, I, gotta, I feel like because I'm like on the East Coast, like I got to put, I got to be behind Rob Font. And, but I was just thinking about how like, <laughs> so I'm in the group chat with these guys. Uh, we call ourselves the Turbo Team. It's a reference from a popular, well, it's not that, anyway, it's a really good, really, really, really good sketch show. And you guys heard them on the podcast already. They came on episode 63, I think, 65, maybe somewhere in there. And, uh, they're the best people I know. And, uh, they were talking about, they're all really big figgy fans. And, uh, I was like, uh, someone had brought up the question, like, how does Figgy do at 135? And I was like, honestly, like Figgy likes to use his size and impose that onto flyweights. And I don't see that happening at Bantamweight, which I think is a fair uh, assessment, right? Um, like skill for skill, he's probably better than than most of the Bantamweights, but size matters. And like a lot of the Bantamweights are guys that should be fighting a featherweight anyway. And so that, that kind of like made its like way into my assessment and in my analysis i was like honestly even a guy like rob funk could probably be figurado and they dragged me dude <laughs> i was like oh i shouldn't have said that um so in this even though like marlon rice doesn't have the exact same style as figgy like he's like brazilian like striker um if rob font beats marlon rice i'm gonna i'm gonna say hey guys i was right so for that reason i'm rooting for rob font however um by all intents and purposes marlon rice should beat rob font like if you're a betting man, I don't know. Like I never get betting advice because I'm terrible, but probably Marlon Rice is the safe bet. I don't know. And next we have a, another <laughs> a Brazilian fight that I had to clarify the name with Fernanda because I was trying to figure out how the double R gets pronounced in Portuguese or at least Brazilian Portuguese, right? So I was like, I was like, my instinct is to roll the R in Arroyo, but I think it's Ahoyo, right? She's like, yeah, that's the rule. And I was like, like, like Carlos Diego Fajeda. 
And then I was like, wait a minute, but Michelle Pajeda is spelled with just one R. She's like, no, no, it's Pereira. And I was like, oh, fuck, dude. I've been like roasting people for saying Pereira. But that was also one time I was listening to this uh, this UK podcast called The Bloody Good Show. And they were like, Mikkel Pereira. And I was like, oh, dude, you can't anglicize his name. You can't anglicize it, dude. You can't. Um, anyway, Michelle does lots of flips. Pereira is uh, is fighting Chaos Williams. Chaos Williams is becoming one of my favorite fighters in that division, in that welterweight division. Um, he still it doesn't go above James Cross and Muslim Salikov, but right now it's like those two, and then Chaos Williams is right behind him, dude. Uh, I really love this guy. He goes, they keep sleeping on me, and the doctors keep waking him up. That's fucking cold-blooded, dude. That line sends chills down my spine. Chills up and down your spine. Juices running down your thigh. Anyway, um, I love Pony. What am I saying, dude? I promise I'm sober. So, Michelle Pereira. It's actually Pereira Lima, which I didn't know. Um, is going to fight Chaos Williams. And this fight is going to be fucking chaos. Now, Michelle in his last fight, um, he fought that uh, Dagestani gentleman and he just absolutely fucking beat the shit out of him. And he didn't do any of his flips. He was still flashy. I think he might have even done a couple Superman punches. He may have jumped off the cage, but he didn't do anything crazy that would have expended needless energy. And honestly, he looked like he'd been working on his cardio. Like he didn't gas at the end. Probably if it was a five rounder, he wouldn't have lasted, but like he at least had like one more round in him, I think. So this fight is interesting. But Chaos Williams usually gets his uh, opponents out of the like out in the first round. So this honestly is gonna be fucking like it's it's such a cliche and it's just one of the things, but like don't blink. You know what I mean? This fight is gonna be fireworks. And that's all I have to say. Now we're moving on to the co main event. Jose Aldo versus Marlon Chito Vera. Now, if you guys listen to this podcast, you know I'm a big, big fan of Chito Vera. And most of the people listening right now are big fans of Aldo. And I get it. And I wish no harm on him. However, I do want Marlon to win. I just, I, I can't pick against him. I never do. Um, He's absolutely one of my favorite fighters. And if you look at this matchup, Aldo of old probably fucking waxes Cheeto. Uh, I mean, I think it's fair to say that, like, improvements have been made in MMA, that, like, the new breed is kind of better than the old breed in some regards, but just, like, prime Jose Aldo does not lose to, to Marlon Vera. But we're not talking about a prime Jose Aldo. I know that's kind of like a tired uh, argument as far as, like, fight analysis goes, but it's it's true. Um, and looking at this fight, uh, Marlon has is improving his stand up like every day, and he has great submissions now. Like Jose, I think has been submitted like once, and I was like before the UFC. Um, he usually doesn't lose grappling exchanges. Like he has one of the best takedown defenses in the UFC. Uh, however, Marlon doesn't have traditional takedowns, and he doesn't always. Like, I feel like he uses grappling if the fight goes, or like, if he drops the guy or uh, if he pulls guard or whatever. Or, like, so this one fight, dude, I want to say it was he was fighting, like, Noelina Hernandez, and he grabbed an arm triangle from the clinch, from standing, and he just dragged them down. Oh, I was such a big fan of that. Uh, I'm not saying he can do that to Jose. I'm just saying when you're talking about takedown defense, I don't think that necessarily applies because he's not going to come at you with a traditional 
takedowns. Like like Goon did a great thread about Aldo's takedown defense. Like he had this one where he's like doing a limp leg against uh, uh, Ch- Chad Mendez. I almost said Sean Mendez, the fucking singer, Chad Mendez, uh, and just how he his legs are like like oak trees as far as like not being able to like move them when you're trying to take him down. So I think that'll play a factor in this, uh, at least in some some respect. Like I said, I don't think it matters a ton because Marlon's not going to shoot on him. He's not going to just come up with like a D1 wrestling game like all those used to facing with like the alpha male guys. But um, it is apropos to say that um, this fight probably won't uh, be decided in the grappling. Um, I think it'll be decided in the striking. And as far as speed, uh, Marlon, I think, has the advantage. And that that's ultimately where I'm putting my pick now. It's worth noting that um, three-round Aldo is different than five-round Aldo. That's another one of those tired tropes, I feel, but it's it bears repeating. Like, when uh, Aldo was still at featherweight, uh, he was, you know, he lost to, to Max twice, kind of badly, and, you know, he then turned around and fought Hanato Moicano and Jeremy Stevens in three-round fights, and he waxed those dudes. And so... You know, he kind of said, like, look, I, I don't like five-round fights. Like, I, I want three of my styles. I come to finish, and I need I need three rounds. Uh, I think at that point he said, like, I don't want any more five-round fights. But then he goes and takes the title fight, obviously. Um, that was hard to watch. But uh, he looked good at Bantamweight, I will say. Like, as far as his debut at the weight class against Marlon, uh, Morais, that is, um, I thought he won that fight. So... This fight has a lot of questions, uh, in my opinion, and uh, I'm looking forward to the answers, as cheesy as that sounds. And here's the main event now. Listen, again, I'm a big, big fan of Wonderboy Thompson, so I'm going to sound incredibly biased here. But Jeff Neal is also, I think, a dark horse of the welterweight division. Like He's one of those guys that I could see making a run at the title. He's that fucking good. So, um, like... You know, full disclosure, I'm, I'm saying I'm probably going to pick Wonderboy, but that's just because I hate seeing Wonderboy lose. Like, he's just one of my favorite fighters. He's Leo's favorite fighter. He's just the fucking man. He's a super amazing role model. Um, any of the videos on YouTube that he makes, like, I'm a big fan of. Just super big fan of him. Um, but that said, I'm also a big fan of Jeff Neal, so I don't want anyone, like, uh, there's a lot of Jeff Neal fans that I made Twitter that are just like, yeah, he's the fucking man. And I'm like, yeah, dude, he is the man, but he's also fighting Stephen Thompson. Like, I think about... Uh, Steven Thompson and Vicente Luque was the last fight he had. I thought Vicente Luque was going to absolutely fucking clean Wonderboy's clock just because of the way his last fights were. Like, he just came out that Naka lost to Pettis, and I was like, this isn't a good fight for him to take after that. And then he showed up and made Vicente look foolish. Now, Vicente Luque and Jeff Neal are not the same fighter. So I'm not, by, by no means, I'm not applying that same logic or whatever. I'm just saying, don't count Steven out yet because of his age. Like, he could win this fight. Uh, uh, but again, I'm nervous. Um, I will say this, uh, his experience in five round fights, cause this is a main event. Uh, I haven't read that it's a three round main event. I hope it's not. Cause that would be fucking very upsetting if it is, but, um, his experience in five round fights could make the difference as well. Um, he's been in a ton of main events. He's fought for the title twice. Um, he headlined against Rory and against Johnny Hendricks, even though the Johnny Hendricks one was a very quick fight. It was scheduled for five rounds. So Yeah. And obviously the Pettis one, even though that didn't go his way and didn't go five rounds, was scheduled for five rounds. So he's a he's a he's a he's a warrior. I'm gonna sound super cheesy when I say that, but 
Oh, I'm sorry. I, know, I, I love Wonder Boy. I, I'm feeling like the energy in the air is gonna make uh, like not good. Like if I root if I root for you, that's not good. <laughs> oh man, that said, these are uh, this is an incredible fight card. Um, kind of sad we didn't get the Hamzat uh, Chimaev versus Leon Edwards fight because I honestly was gonna pick Leon in that. No shame in my game. Mostly because I really hate the Hamzat stands on my Twitter. I really do. Like, I just, I just can't. Um, and that said, like, that's also like one of the reasons why I don't like John Jones. Like, some of his fans, other than um, the ones that are my homies. So obviously, if you're listening, like, that's not you. But like, some of the John Jones fans are gross. Like, just gross. Um, so yeah. Anyway, uh, I'm really, really thankful for anyone who got this far and for just anyone who continued to support me and was, you know, messaging me saying they missed the show and things like that. It really, really meant a lot. And I don't even say like my absence was felt like things like that are really meaningful words to hear. And, uh, you know, uh, shamelessly plug breaking the fourth wall again. Uh, like I said, um, even if theater is not your thing, I try and like make it interesting. And, um, so like, Here's a couple episodes I think I think you'll enjoy even if you're not a theater fan. Okay, so the second episode, uh, well, third, um, if you're if you're talking about the whole thing, because I did an episode zero that was like the pilot episode, just kind of explaining the show. But then each one I've numbered it in terms of the shows. Like the first show I did was Hades Town, and I named that episode one. So episode two was a was a show called um, In the Next Room by Sarah Rule, and that's about the history of the vibrator and or about the invention of it inspired by a book that detailed the history of it sort of even though like some some things that got it wrong which i talk about in the episode uh so anyways it talks about like orgasms and like very interesting stuff that i think are like it's kind of funny too but it's also very heartwarming so that is an episode and uh my wife joined me for like a reading of a scene which is funny um i mean not funny the the other scene i did was funny with andrew <laughs> yeah yeah but anyway, the, the scene with my wife was like very, like a sweet scene. Um, and uh, another episode, I think like episode three on Passing Strange. Now that, because it's a musical, is exclusively on Spotify. So if you want to listen to that, you got to get on Spotify. But that episode is uh, about a musical called Passing Strange, which is a musical for people that don't like musicals. So every single thing, like, oh, I don't fucking like musicals, like whatever, just listen. I mean, at least check out Passing Strange. You don't have to listen to me. Uh, because it's like it's like rock funk music, and it's it's so different than anything you've ever heard as far as like what normally is on Broadway. Um, and it was written by a guy named Stu who has a band called The Negro Problem, and it's like because Stu's a black guy and he kind of has like a a sound you wouldn't expect from a black guy. And they talk about it because he does like rock music and and things like that. So it's just it's a very unique show in that regard, and they touch upon a lot of themes which are. Um, very so prevalent today, and uh, I love it a lot. So it's very important to me. I was just gonna, I'll just plug those two. Episode four on the Baltimore Waltz is like um, I talk about my cancer, and it's like a very personal episode. But um, if if uh, you know, I don't want to sit here like make people cry because it's definitely that kind of episode. Um, but I guess uh, I'm sort of losing steam here, so I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap this up. Uh, thank you guys so much. Um, Check me out on uh, Twitter and Instagram at fwm underscore pod. Um, yeah, I have uh, merch on Redbubble. You can find that by searching, you know, either I think you can search my name, Juice Jackson, or you can search Fighting with Myself. 
uh, yeah, other than that, be kind to each other and uh, Black Lives Matter.